here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Many, 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 are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. <laughs> Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice of Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I am Rich Krejci alongside, as always, the King of Banter himself, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, how's it going? I'm I'm okay. You're you're on edge, but I'm I'm fine. It's <laughs> just technical difficulties, as usual. But you know, it wouldn't be a Voice of Wrestling Podcast without you know crippling technical issues every single time. So I'm worried. Know. I'm worried if you meet anybody in the streets named Pamela that you might kill them <laughs> we ever we had so we had something good going for so long with Pamela and you know it just screwed us and we we're trying different things this program's fine but it's got this weird little quirk that I can't figure out and it's just it, it's very frustrating but you know what hey Thanksgiving's coming up decent holiday Chris is coming up okay holiday we got a bunch of good wrestling going on it was a fun wrestling weekend so so I'm okay and I get to talk to you Joe and there, there's nothing that brightens up my day more um than wasting three hours of my night talking to you so um that Sounded particularly condescending. <laughs> All right, Bix, chill out. It's not I a got, big deal, but I got, I got, I got to tell you that that sounded very condescending. Well, I apologize. No, and I, and, and I, I, I'm listen. Now you got me on edge. Like I'm afraid to breathe because you've told me like four times while you're over there freaking out. I can hear you breathing. Stop breathing. I'm like, all right, man. I, I don't think breathe. I said stop breathing. To be honest, I did not say stop breathing. Rich asked me to stop breathing, so I don't know if that's. Some I wouldn't kind be the of... first person in, uh, in the wrestling world to tell you to stop breathing. So, oh God, no! But I mean, and after this show, you won't be the last. <laughs> oh, you're going scorch. I forgot you're going scorch earth on this show. Never mind. Yeah, it's, it'll be a fun listen, one. Listen, listen. A lot of people are going to have to face the facts this week on a lot of different topics. I'm going to tell a lot of people why they're wrong about everything. I mean, look, I can't help it. You know, but you don't you want know, to do it. You just have to. It's, it's I have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I have to do it. If I have to tell everyone why they're wrong about Brock Lesnar and Goldberg, I, that's my job. That's why this is the best wrestling podcast on earth because that's what we do, Rich. So no, sir, I will not stop breathing. <laughs> Well, I won't ask you to do that this time. But anyway, we got plenty to get to, so I won't uh, waste much time here. But I do want to tell you that this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by Dollar Shave Club. And we've told you a lot about Dollar Shave Club over the past few weeks. And once again, they were gracious enough to sponsor us, and we love their products. So you don't, of course, need to... 
we tell you this all the time. You don't have to choose between price and quality to get an amazing and affordable shave. DollarShaveClub.com is the answer, Joe. And to prove how amazing their shave really is, right now they're going to give you the first month free to join the club. DollarShaveClub.com delivers amazing razors right to your door for a third of the price of what the greedy razor corporations charge. With Dollar Shave Club, you can look, smell, sh- and shave like a million dollars without paying for it. Uh, here's your chance to see why over three million members like me and like Joe love Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club is so confident in the quality of all of their products that now you can get your first month of the club for free. You just pay the shipping after that. It's just a few bucks per month. No long-term commitment, no hidden fees. There's really no reason not to do it. So get yours now at DollarShaveClub.com slash voices. That's DollarShaveClub.com com slash voices and i do want to tell the ladies that listen all eight of them that uh, my wife does enjoy dollar shave club as well so don't think it's just men but uh men there's a lot of really good products they have as well but we definitely think you know if you get that first month for free why not do it you pay shipping and then if you want to cancel after that you can cancel after that if you want to keep it it's just a few bucks per month but anyway that's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices once again that's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices and joe before we get to the other topics as well i do want to let people know that with thanksgiving coming up and black friday and the, the christmas shopping season starting that voice wrestling com slash Amazon. We tell you all about it. You know, voicewrestling.com slash Amazon. You go on there. You get the exact same experience you would get uh, just doing normal Amazon.com, but we get a small percentage back, and it really does help us. I mean, the amount of money that we get from it, you know, it, it, it's not gigantic. We do, I can't buy a boat. You know, I, I want my dream of buying a boat, and I, I still haven't gotten it, but you know, hey, one time, uh, maybe I will. Depending on what you guys do this holiday season, maybe I can get my boat, but uh, regardless, it helps keep our website alive, just that little bit of money that we get back from Amazon, and, and really, you don't have to change anything about what you do if you buy stuff on Amazon, you just do voicewrestling.com slash Amazon. We get a percentage of it back. You get your same products, the same times you would get it, the same shipping hours. Nothing changes on your end. We just get a small percentage back. So it's really, it's just like the dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. It's kind of a, there's really no reason not to do it. So if you go to Amazon and you like us, you like this website, you like our forums, you like any of our writers, uh, whether you like me and don't like Joe or you like Joe and hate me or whatever, it doesn't matter. It helps all of us out. It helps every single writer. It helps the website survive. So it's voicewrestling.com slash Amazon. So definitely remember that during the, uh, the holiday season, especially on Black Friday, and uh, Amazon Cyber Monday, which is always a real big uh, event, so definitely check that out, voicewrestling.com slash Amazon. We're going to put a little banner on the um, on the website as well, so if you forget, you can just go to voicewrestling.com, and we'll have a little uh, Amazon link there in the top right. You'll see, uh, just click that, and it'll take you to our Amazon store, where you buy whatever you want, and you use voicewrestling.com slash Amazon, we get a percentage back, we keep this website up and running. So Joe, there's my thing, I can breathe now, what do we start with? Do we we kind of have to start with Goldberg and Survivor Series, right? Have to. We have no other choice. Right. We're not, we're not doing the All Japan Sumo Hall to lead it off, or no? No, we're not doing the FIP booking change to lead it off. <laughs> oh, damn it. Well, that's what I prepared for. I don't know. So the Survivor Series. Okay. I'll type that in. I will get on Wikipedia, see what happened. But no, that, that's, of course, the talk of, of the wrestling world. <laughs> uh, last week was the, the, just a monumental, shocking. I, 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 there's no words to describe it. What happened at the end of Survivor Series this Sunday, Joe? Uh, people that everybody's everybody knows. I'm not going to explain it to you, but anyway, Goldberg defeated Brock Lesnar in a minute 26. A minute 26. Goldberg defeating Brock Lesnar. Just a shocking event. Uh, what did you think when you initially saw it? When you when you sat down on your little award winning WWE Network and you saw Goldberg decimate Brock Lesnar, what did you think? Um, I think like everybody else, I was shocked, and then I I let I you know I let it sit for a bit, and. I spent a little time perusing message boards and Twitter to see what people thought. And what I saw was people absolutely losing their minds and losing all common sense and just being so far off the mark about the whole thing. First first off, from, from a purely aesthetic 
point of view, I thought it was a shit ton of fun to watch. And, you know, the shock factor was part of that, but it was a great spectacle. And it wasn't just a great spectacle and a super memorable moment. I mean, when you really look back on wrestling in 2016, this is going to be the number one moment that people remember, in my opinion. I mean, I think that this is going to be the moment of 2016. It's this, and it's the Ricochet-Will Ospreay match. I mean, those are the two things that, that are the, the trademark moments of the pro wrestling year of 2016. So from that perspective, it was, it was just a, it was a, it was a, it was, this is one of those super memorable wrestling moments that nobody will forget. But what's sort of getting lost in this as well is I really thought, you know, for only being, you know, an 86 second match, both of these guys and Lesnar in particular were outstanding in those 86 seconds. And that, I don't think that's getting talked about enough. Brock Lesnar, was tremendous in this professional wrestling match. I mean, his facial expression when Goldberg knocked him on his ass, his selling after the second spear. I mean, Lesnar was great here. I don't think you could be any better in an 86-second match than Brock Lesnar was in this match. And Goldberg, for his part as well, since he's returned to the company, really, I mean, this has been... He's been better than that. I mean, when did he become such a great promo? How did this happen? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, this is a guy that they wouldn't let talk in WCW, and in WWE, they, they barely let him talk either. I mean, he got a little bit here and there, but yeah, this was nothing. I mean, he was just never, ever given the mic. So you you wonder if it was just he wasn't ever a good promo or that they never gave him the opportunities or what it was. But yeah, he's great. Yeah, Almost podcast. I, Remember the Goldberg podcast? That was a thing for a while. Oh, I you know what? I completely forgot about that. He well, was I think also, a lot of people did. He was an MMA announcer for a while. And oh, that's was, true. Right, right, right. And he was and he was charismatic on the air and all that, and 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 did a good job. But in terms, oh, he hosted of, that uh, he hosted that card show too. I forgot what the hell the name of it was because I, I don't it, care yes. about cards. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, whatever that yeah, name of the I show is. As far as as far as pro wrestling promos, he's, he's never known for being a good promo ever, and he's been excellent. And um, so yeah, I mean, I I thought from just a pure from an entertainment standpoint, I, and actually, no one's really arguing that. I think everyone agrees that from an entertainment standpoint. That was it. Was a, it was a pretty great. It was it was pretty incredible to watch. If nothing else, it was surreal, and um, it was highly entertaining. And it was a very gutsy call by the company to go in that direction too. What what I love, uh, real quick before you go, go on to, to the next thing. What I loved about Brock Lesnar, and you mentioned him again, that his facial reaction, all that sort of stuff. And we we've talked about this with Brock Lesnar for years because you know there, a lot of wrestling Twitter and a lot of re- people have kind of turned on Brock Lesnar. But I still enjoy him. You still enjoy him. We're kind of a show that that still enjoys the Brock Lesnar you know aura and everything that he does. And I think in this match in particular, you saw another great part of him. And and we say this all the time: if you cut the check, that guy will do whatever you tell him to do. I mean, that guy did not sulk. He didn't make it. I mean, he played it up like this is the most shocking thing in the world. I can't believe this is happening to me. And and when he lost it was he he did everything perfect. It's it's the exact opposite of what Lesnar was uh at WrestleMania 20 or whatever. We could tell the guy was actively sulking. He was one foot out of the door. He couldn't be bothered to try it all in this match. Whereas this you saw and and, and you kind of think that you, you know if it, a few hours before they say, "Hey Brock, you're going to lose in, you know, 80 seconds to Goldberg," that this guy would be like, "Ah oh, shit, that sucks." You know what I mean? Like a normal human being would probably be like, "Ah oh, jeez, that kind of, you know, gee, like but Brock Lesnar Never cares. If you cut the check, Brock Lesnar will do whatever you tell him to do. And that's been true since he's returned to the WWE in this entire run that he's done is that if you tell him, hey, we're, we need a really hardcore match out of you. We need really you to do silly shit. He'll do it. I mean, that original match against uh, John Cena at Extreme Rules was like, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? And it, as long as the check clears 
and he sees that money, he will do whatever you tell him to do. And in this case, again, it was another example of him going, you know, hey, <laughs> whether I disagree or agree or, or care, he doesn't care what the storyline implications of his character are. He doesn't care. He says, hey, you cut the check and I will give you the performance of a lifetime. And and, and like you said, in 80 seconds, it's hard to come up with a better performance than what Brock Lesnar had. And, and he's the one that lost and got killed. And that that's I think that says a lot about him in general. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, but I really do think that this entire run that he's had in WWE has been incredible. And this might have been one of his best performances, which is silly considering it's 80 seconds of him losing. But still, there's 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 both parts of wrestling match. There's the winner and the loser. And in this case, he was so good, so good at being the loser in this one. People can disagree all they want, but the fact of the matter is, there's you know this this match when they were in the ring together and and the match was about to start. This felt like something important. This felt like a huge moment even before we got the shocking upset. And this felt like a big-time fight. This felt like a big-time pro wrestling match because of the charisma of these two guys. And, and I don't want to sell Goldberg short either. And I'm going to talk about him a lot here too. Uh, because I'm – listen, last week, you go back and listen to this show. You go back to listen to any podcast that previewed this show. You go back to listen to people talking. No one was excited about this match. We were all morbidly curious about this match, Okay. But once they hit the ring, it just felt like something special. There was a buzz in that arena. Uh, and that's what Brock Lesnar brings to the table every time. And that's why I'm all in on Brock Lesnar. People can deny that. But here's the thing about Brock Lesnar. Okay, You look back at, at, at all of his WWE matches and just about every time he gets in the ring, and he had a few stinkers, like you mentioned the Ambrose match, that was one, where I think the idea there is he was resting up for his, for his UFC fight, so he wasn't really going to you know, go out there and, and, and risk his body. But for the most part, 90% of the time when Brock Lesnar does something, has a match in this company, it is a super memorable moment that you're never going to forget. Whether it's the John Cena match uh, when he first returned that you referenced earlier. Whether it was the John Cena German suplex, suplex city match that, is a, uh, that, 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 is a, that was a special match. Whether it was the Randy Orton Hardway cut. Whether it was the, uh, beating The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Whether it's this match with Goldberg. Roman Reigns right? is probably best individual performance ever was, you know, opposite of Brock Lesnar. Absolutely. The WrestleMania match with Roman Reigns. I mean... Every time you cannot take your eyes off this guy, which is why I'm all in on Brock Lesnar every time. You know, it, it's like I know it annoys people that he's a part timer and all that, but you know, why would that annoy you from strictly an entertainment perspective? You know, it's like would he would he look at look at it this way? Would all of these moments and they were all special moments, all the ones I just named, would they have been as special if he's on Raw every week? Would they be as special if he's on Raw every week, you know, wrestling Big Cass or whoever the fuck? So, again, this is kind of a double-edged sword. You may complain that he's not there from week to week and he parachutes in and he's a part-timer and that bothers you. Personally, I don't understand that, but if that's your complaint, fine. But you also have to accept that, on the other hand, it, it would dilute him a bit. I mean, it's special when this guy's around. And what I was thinking when these guys got in the ring is, wow, this is something special. And that's before what, what, what actually occurred did, which... Again, I thought, uh, I thought the whole the whole spectacle of it to me was tremendous. I enjoyed the shit out of it. I mean, I you know it's it's like you know a couple of weeks ago Goldberg can't even stay on his feet when he's attacking Rusev, so you're worried about this match here, and um, you know he was he was great too. I mean, you know everything about his performance was great, and you really can't deny his charisma and and you know and and what he brings to the table. He's been an absolute hit since he came back, and I guess this is a good transition. 
to move away from breaking down the match and into breaking down the controversial part of this, which is the business aspect of it and the booking of the match. Mm -hmm. But, you know, from the moment that Goldberg has come back, it's obvious that he's he, that he's been something special. He's been over, and he's and he comes across like a genuine superstar. And it really also emphasizes that this company is lacking genuine superstars because this dude, this dude, Bill Goldberg, is a genuine superstar, and he completely, uh, it, it, it really just it it. it like, look, we know this is a company struggling for star power, but when you bring a guy like this into the fold, who gets the reactions that he gets and has the charisma that he has, man, it really makes the rest of the roster look poor. And and that's not necessarily an indictment on the rest of the roster. I mean, it's partially on the people on the roster, but it's also partially on the company for failing to do the things to get people to that Goldberg level. Yeah, and I think that's going to be one of the complaints that a lot of people, and, and it was one of the complaints that a lot of people made. I, I don't have that complaint, and, and anybody that followed us on Twitter knows that basically when it was over, I you know I kind of laughed at it. I thought I was just shocked by it. I had, I, I had trouble even comprehending what the hell was happening in front of me. Like I think I put in my review that I thought I was tripping because it was just like, what the hell? You know, I have no idea what the hell's going on here. I'm shocked. My friend is looking at me like, what the? We, we had no idea. We took it, it, it took my drive home. I, I you know I was at my buddy's house watching it, and it took my drive home to really kind of compartmentalize it and think about it a little little bit more and and kind of and then when I got I got home and I thought you know what hey this is a company that I don't invest too much in their everyday storylines I don't invest too much in, in that sort of stuff so I'm not going to go nuts about you know the, the individual booking of it or whatever and then something that we always talk about as well and I tweeted this out and a lot of people did agree with it is that these days WWE and we say it all the time. They're not into creating stars anymore. They're, they're, the star making machine is broken and it's been broken for years. They are a moment creation company now. They want you to say, "Oh my God, do you remember X?" They don't want you to say, "Oh, I love X," or "Oh man, X is the best," or "I love this wrestler," or, "I love that guy," or whatever. They don't want that because X can leave anytime. X can go away. X can get hurt. X can, you know, Finn Balor was X for a little bit. Then he got hurt, and then they lost X. Then they can't have X anymore. They don't want that anymore. They want to be able to create their moments regardless of. Of who that person is and in some cases they are handed somebody like a Goldberg who kind of is a ready-made star and then they can sort of enhance that a little bit more they're still great at doing that but they are terrible 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 at creating stars organically anymore they just cannot do it they haven't been able to do it since John Cena uh, they were kind of able to do it with Daniel Bryan but even that they had to be caught you know <laughs> dread kicking and screaming to do it CM Punk was the same sort of way where they just haven't been able to do that and we see Roman Reigns is just a miserable failure of that star making machine so when you look at it that way and go, okay, this is A, not a star-making company. We'll get to that in a little bit, if that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, if that's a bad thing, a good thing, or whatever. But when you really break it down and sort of think about, okay, this is WWE, and, and distance yourself from the person who, who really gets invested in these stories and really cares or whatever. If you go, at the end of the day, when I watch a WWE pay-per-view, if, if, if I saw a moment that really resonated with me, they've done their job. They've done what they want to do. They want to create a moment. We talk about that with WrestleMania, too. WrestleMania is a moment show anymore. If you want to go see great matches and, and big stars, and that sort of stuff, you're not going to get that from WrestleMania. WrestleMania is about moments now. It's about video clips and moments captured in time and YouTube videos. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it is right now. And this was another one of those. It was a moment, not a star-making thing, not anything like that. It was a moment that they wanted you to remember, and you are going to remember forever. That brings to kind of a different point, which I'm sure you're going to bring into a little bit or, or discuss here in a little bit. Is that really what they should be doing? Should this win have gone to somebody else? Should this win be uh, reserved for a younger talent? Should it be reserved for a Kevin Owens or a Nakamura, a Joe, you know, someone like that? That's really the big question that's coming out of here, and I see why people are upset, but I'll let you kind of talk uh, on that a little bit first. Well, I think here's the problem with the debates that people are having. 
they seem to think that you know for for the people who who are upset that a quote unquote younger star didn't get this win over Lesnar i think where the disconnect comes is from my point of view first of all i completely agree with the booking decision from the perspective of they were gift wrapped a guy who they can make some money with and who can help improve their business because i don't think anyone ex- i think everyone expected goldberg to be popular to a point i don't think anyone expected him to be this popular and this yeah. over I thought it would and, wear out. I thought it would wear off after like two weeks, and it hasn't. And it's been – it's only growing, which is odd. <laughs> I, just, yeah, I never expected and, that, ever, ever. And I don't think the company expected it either, and I think that's why they made the booking change. So here's the thing. If, goal, if this was a one-and-done like was originally planned, I would be with everybody else, and I would be on board with the idea that Bill Goldberg returning for a one-and-done, beating Brock Lesnar in 86 seconds – would have been an incredibly stupid booking. This I'd be on board with everybody. But the fact that they knew that they were going to keep this guy around and he agreed to stick around, and as far as we know right now, according to Dave Meltzer, it's a match-by-match thing, and if they continue to match Goldberg's number, he'll continue to come back, which I think is, the, is, is, is best for everyone because this way, if you're taking it on a match-by-match basis when he starts to cool off, you're not obligated to anything with him anymore. You can just stop using him at that point. So if that's the deal that they have, that's great. Now, the leverage that Goldberg has is if he continues uh, to be super popular, if, if they don't have anything in writing and it's just a match-by-match deal, he can hold them over a barrel, especially if, if his feud with Lesnar is at a point where he has a massive edge and, and he hasn't given his win back yet. What's to stop him from raising his rate? Right. So I, I would like to know more about what their deal is. But getting back to the original point, you know, once they saw how over this guy was and, and, and how he was a genuine star and they're lacking stars, and we all agree that they're lacking stars, why would you take this gift-wrapped situation of being handed this enormous star and just piss it away on the basis of, 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 the basis of potentially putting over a younger person later and, and quote-unquote giving them that Lesnar rub down the line – where you're not guaranteed that that's going to work or that's going to take, you have a guy here who is over and who is guaranteed and is already a big... Why would you not, you know, give... The, why would you beat that guy and send him packing? You can, you can get some mileage out of this guy. Why not do it? So from that perspective, it's a no-brainer. And I think doing it as a squash was, it was brilliant. Look at all the attention it got. Not just among... Look... First of all, it was the entire talk of the wrestling world for the entire week, okay? And that's a good thing. The Raw rating was up, and that, that's further proof that it was a good thing. But this got mainstream publicity. It did. This got all kinds of stupid Yahoo articles, all that nonsense, that, you know, a Brock Lesnar 13-minute run-of-the-mill pay-per-view win was never going to get. That a Bill Goldberg 13-minute run-of-the-mill back-and-forth traditional pro wrestling match was never going to get. Doing this as a shocking squash match and turning it into a quote-unquote moment was brilliant on their part. I, I am 1,000% behind what they did, and now they're going to bring Goldberg back for the Royal Rumble, which, by the way, no one is talking about this. They have 60,000 tickets to sell. So for these people who are insistent on, 
well, we're not in the pay-per-view era anymore, and these pay-per-view events always sell out, and what tangible effect can he have on business? Well, first of all, ratings are in a tangible effect on business, and the jury's out, but week one was up. Okay, so Mark won for Lanza. Okay, and the other tangible thing is th- this is not a run-of-the-mill paper. This this Royal Rumble is in a sixty-thousand-seat building. Okay, if you think WWE can just moonwalk into San Antonio and sell sixty thousand tickets, no, they cannot. Okay, they've had WrestleManias where they've struggled to sell sixty thousand tickets. So what makes you think that the Royal Rumble is just going to show up and move sixty thousand tickets? Okay, having a red-hot Goldberg here is an enormous boon to them. Uh, in terms of filling these seats for, for the Royal Rumble. Will they? I don't know. But but look, it can't hurt. This guy's the hottest guy in the company. The idea that he just should have been sent packing, or the idea that Goldberg should have won just so six months from now, or a year from now, or two years from now, that maybe they could have put someone else over Goldberg. And here's the other thing, Rich, uh, my final point, and, and this is where the disconnect lies, I think. Just because Goldberg beat Brock Lesnar doesn't mean that a younger guy can't beat Brock Lesnar sometime down the line. Where did this idea come from that Brock Lesnar's aura has been destroyed based on losing a wrestling match? Rich, how many wrestling matches has he lost since he came back? There's like the fourth or fifth one, right? I think so, yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to check to make sure. I thought, yeah, somewhere in the 3-4 range, I think. Rich, it, he lost like yeah. four of his first five matches, didn't he, when he came back? Oh, uh, yeah, because he lost to Triple H, and he lost to, um, yeah. He lost guys. a bunch of matches. I think he lost, and, did he lose his, I think he lost his debut, re-debut, didn't he? To see you know how, it, the time? yes, yes, and yeah, do you know yeah, how I remember this? Because we yelled and screamed about it and said, right. why do you keep beating this guy? But here's what happens, right? Here's what happened, Rich. It never fucking matters with this guy. You can beat Brock Lesnar like a drum, and he never loses his aura. He loses in MMA all the time. The guy's a 500 fighter in, in UFC. And every time they stick him in there, he's an enormous draw anyway. This guy is a superstar. He's got that special something. You cannot kill this guy's aura. This did not kill his aura. There's, look, if, if your argument is a younger guy should have beaten him, they can do it anyway. Why can't they still do that? They can. Chances are he's going to win this feud with Goldberg because Goldberg is just he's a short-term thing. He's a match-by-match basis guy. They'll have a tremendous moment at the Royal Rumble, which I'm excited for to see what they do with these two guys at the Royal Rumble. And Brock will probably beat him at WrestleMania. And again, you know, that's another thing. Not only, you know, is, you know, is, is Goldberg going to help them presumably do business at the Royal Rumble? Now you got this guy for WrestleMania. In their wildest dreams, they didn't think it would play out like this. They thought he would come in for Survivor Series and, you know, Lesnar would win and be adios Bill Goldberg and that would be that. Man, but they really ran into something special here. And once Goldberg's gone... Everyone has lost their fucking minds, Rich. There is no reason once this Goldberg thing plays itself out that this company can go down that road and, and put a younger, a quote-unquote younger person over, over. You can do both. Why can't it be both? Why can't you exploit this Goldberg phenomenon, which is what it is? Why can't you exploit this and you – but here's the thing, Rich. I don't think they're ever going to put a younger guy over, over Lesnar. So, you know, that's not me excusing them. I think they're wrong for that. I do think that's a mistake. So I'm not completely even disagreeing with people. Right. From that perspective, I agree with all those points that the company is not utilizing Lesnar properly in that capacity to put over younger stars. They should be doing that. 
But I also, at the same time, I don't think this Goldberg thing is a mistake. To say that this Goldberg thing is a mistake is just being ignorant to business. You are not facing the facts if you don't see that this gold that, that what they're doing with Goldberg is the right thing to do. I think I think what you're getting a lot of people because I, I think you explained it right there, and I, I think a lot of people are sort of extrapolating years of frustration over them how they build young stars and what they do with their young stars and, and how these people from the Attitude Era, and again, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with this. I'm just kind of defending their end of it, is that you get people that say, okay, these guys from the Attitude Era walk in, they waltz in, WWE makes them out to be a huge deal and says, wow, geez, look at all these, this is when it was great and this is when it was good and they show a bunch of crowd shots, the crowd's going nuts and all this sort of stuff and, and you see all this fun stuff and you see these characters and they're larger than life and they put them over like crazy and then they come in and then they win and then they're in big spots right away and they're immediately, you know, again, like Goldberg's a perfect example, guy who comes in and immediately just destroys Brock Lesnar, a guy who's been destroying your, your everybody else on the roster for years or whatever. And, and people look at that and go, okay, geez, this is why none of you guys get over. This is why there are no new stars. And that's why it, it, it sucks that we watch the show every single week and it's just this giant hamster wheel of guys just doing nothing. And then these Attitude Era guys waltz in when they're not on TV all that often, come in, they're a big deal, they're a big moment, everybody presents them as a big deal, and then they're in and out of here. And then, you know, nobody's benefiting from it. And then the rest of the year, the other 11 months of the year, whatever the other 10 months or whatever are left with all these hamster wheel guys that don't get over and don't do anything. And, and that's, that's the people's frustrations that again, this happened where a guy just waltzes in an older guy, an older established star waltzes in and gets the spot right away, gets the shine right away, gets these things right away. And people look at it and go, man, if you did that with a younger guy, what would happen or what could happen? And I'm not, again, like I'm not defending that. And I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of you have this Goldberg thing and it's a big deal right now. And you're trying to sell tickets to the Alamo dome. So go for it. Definitely do it. But I do see the frustration from people of saying, why can't you do this with younger? Why are you so, you cannot make new stars. You're killing to make a new star. You, you haven't been able to do it in 15 years or whatever. And now you have this opportunity or, or you've shown that you have the ability to do it. If they're an established guy or if they're an attitude era guy, if they're an older guy, if they have some cachet already, you've proven to be able to keep that up now, but you can't create new guys. And, and this is a situation where people look at and go, man, if, if and insert anybody, a Samoa Joe came in and just decimated Bill Goldberg in his opening match, what could happen? And people look at that and go, well, now you can't do that anymore. That's now done. I, I don't necessarily know that it is all the way done, but people kind of see it as, as, as sort of you can't. You can't rebottle that now. Now that Goldberg or now that Lesnar has lost a big match and got decimated in a huge match, you can't bottle that up anymore. So even if you do want uh, Nakamura to do that in his debut or whatever, or Samoa Joe to do that, or Kevin, o- whoever whoever it be, you can't do that anymore because you've already seen Brock Lesnar get decimated by Goldberg, a guy who at most has two to three matches left in him, and then he's out. I mean, this guy's not going to be around for years. We do know that. So that's that's the complaint that a lot of people are coming up with, is, is when are the younger guys, when, when is this next generation of quote-unquote stars ever going to get this type of shine that Vince McMahon loves to give to the Attitude Era guys? And that's, that's, I think that's an absolutely reasonable thing to be upset about. It's, it's reasonable, Rich, but why does that have to be a mutually exclusive argument? Correct, yeah. Why, why can't you condemn the company for continuing to fail to get younger people over while also recognizing that this is absolutely the right move in how they're, in how they're booking Goldberg, to strike while the iron is hot with Goldberg? Why It's not a mutually exclusive argument. It doesn't have to be a zero-sum thing. But these are, to me, these are two related but separate issues. Okay, when you're when you're handed, when you're gift wrapped this opportunity heading into your two biggest shows of the year and you are literally handed a guy 
who's who's over well past the point of what you thought he was going to be over, there's no reason not to exploit it. And I think it's silliness to suggest that they shouldn't have exploited it. Uh, or now, look, if it, look, destroying Lesnar in the manner that he did is important to all this because it 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 it. It makes Goldberg even hotter than he was before in the eyes of the fans. You know, it really rallies the fans behind this guy. So, I mean, that's an important key here. And it's something that I never would have thought of doing. And I truly do believe that it was utterly brilliant. Whoever's idea it was, it was a great idea. And now you have this thing where Brock Lesnar is in this completely new position where he was, you know, and here's the other thing, too. The way this match was booked completely plays into the Bill Goldberg character. Rich, how did he get over to begin with? Right. (laughs) By destroying people. people. This is what they should have done with Goldberg 12 years ago. It's like they're making up for lost time. They blew it the first time around. They're finally doing Goldberg right. You know, it's, it's, I, you know, it's, it just, it makes complete, you know, in hindsight, even though none of us saw it coming, this makes complete sense what they're doing. You know, I, I, I'm a, I'm, I am a hun- I am behind this decision a thousand percent. I think it, 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 they've, they've handled it perfectly, and it's very rare that this company handles anything perfectly. I think all of it se- – look, that Raw go-home segment before their match was perfect and had mega heat, and I think that they saw – I think that's when they, they, they made, ultimately made their decision on how to book the match because that, that was a great segment, and it really showed how into the match these people were and how into Bill Goldberg people were. So we'll see how the Royal Rumble goes. I have a feeling, you know, they're going to set these, these – look, for the people who aren't into this, you're not going to like the Royal Rumble. This Royal Rumble is going to be built around Goldberg and Brock Lesnar standing toe-to-toe by themselves in that ring. And you right. need to be prepared for that. This Royal <laughs> Rumble is about those two men and those two men only. Okay? They may not win it. Neither one of them may win it. Uh, you know, but, but there's going to be – but the match is going to be centered around them at some point. Those dudes are going to clear that fucking ring and be on there and be by themselves and it's going to be photo op time and 60,000 people going mental time with, with Goldberg and Lesnar at the Royal Rumble to set up probably what's going to be a re- – I mean, Rich, they're having a, a rematch at WrestleMania, correct? I mean, that's where this is that's, going. Yeah, I'm thinking that Goldberg's in there. He's blowing through guys. Lesnar comes in. Some, or even Lesnar screws him out of it or something. Lesnar knocks him out of the Rumble or screws him out of the Rumble or something like that, and then they have the rematch at Mania. And that's when Goldberg, uh, uh, Lesnar rather gets his win back, and, and that's probably the end of Goldberg. After and, that, I mean, and, I, and I mean, last week, we thought we were going down a road with Lesnar versus Shane fucking McMahon at WrestleMania. Yes, I'll take this. I think I'll take the Goldberg thing. Why would you not? As, as hot as this is, too, I don't know about you, but I think I've at least made my stance pretty clear. I'm all in on that. This is exciting to me. I, I Look, this is what pro wrestling's about. Two megastars in something that feels big. It's so rare because of like what you said before. Now it's just... The, the company is big that you know it's like but this is two superstars who did something that felt big that felt like a big fight this just felt important this felt like something above and beyond everything else on the show at survivor series i want more of this to me this had some juice i mean i i mean i think that's hard to argue i i like you brought up a point a little bit earlier which i liked as well is that this this is a whole different thing for lesnar as well because imagine if in the situation in Goldberg's out there and whatever, and then Lesnar just destroys him in 30 seconds or whatever. Then the sa- a lot of people are going to be bitching as well that, oh, my God, there we go. Lesnar destroys everybody again. Oh, uh, boring old Lesnar. And then where does Lesnar go from there? Then he's, you know, he just kind of goes away for a while and then comes back and gets challenged by Shane McMahon. And that, you know what I mean? Like, it's just the same thing that we've seen with Lesnar now. Now there's a real, like, a real honest 
desire to see what's the next step of Lesnar. How do him and Heyman relate? How does Heyman sort of uh, work this out? What does he say? What does Lesnar say? Do they just ignore that it happened? Or are they extra mad about it? You know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit of intrigue there where we haven't really had that intrigue with Lesnar in a while. There's the intrigue anytime Lesnar does get in the ring because it's going to be something different. It's going to be a moment in one way or another. But the build to a lot of Lesnar matches has not really been there for a while. It's been kind of, all right, Lesnar's gone for three months. Cool. We'll, we'll just kind of wait until he comes and then he comes back and, you know, whatever. And it's it just, they kind of rush into whatever match they want and then it just kind of happens or whatever well this is this is interesting now now there's actually a desire to see what that next step of a Brock Lesnar is and, and you wouldn't have gotten that otherwise but I do see people's complaints I definitely understand why people are upset by it but I think we've at least or I, I, you especially have done a very good job of sort of framing it of you have this thing and, and I think people do need to understand too the Royal Rumble is a big deal and if they were just going to go to some random basketball arena in St. Louis and wherever, New York, or they're going to MSG or they're going to Staples Center or whatever, then yeah, then maybe it's silly to do this, this short-sighted quote-unquote thing with a, a Goldberg or whatever, but you got to sell 60,000 tickets there. And, you know, you're not papering that thing. I don't think they want to paper it like they did in 1997 where they just gave people tickets for 20 cents or whatever. You don't want to do it. You want to sell these things, genuinely sell out this Alamo Dome, and that's 60,000 seats. That's a lot of seats that they have to sell. So you need a big attraction. You need something big to want people to watch it. You might have gotten that with Goldberg, and it'd be silly, like you're saying, to just throw that away for whatever, be it, you know, Lesnar destroying him in in, in 20 seconds or, or whatever. I mean... It, you, you gotta you gotta sell those tickets, and that's a guy who who, who tangibly has shown that he could probably do that. So I, I I get it from that from a business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. And I do think again, uh, I don't know when you watch the show live, but I think a lot of the reactions instantly were that we thought this was it for Goldberg, that he would kind of spear Jackhammer Lesnar, go hug his kid, and he'd be out. And it was just like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, did he just pay to you know pay the Vince McMahon three million dollars to have this little fantasy camp thing or whatever? But when the news came, then a little bit after that, that he is signed for the Rumble, I think a lot of people did change. There were still some people upset but I think that's a big difference as well we're watching in the moment it was kind of like oh okay like I was super confused in the moment and then when I got home and saw that he had signed for the rumble and and possibly beyond then it made a lot more sense so I could see that being a disconnect as well the thing was though as soon as he won the match in that manner the first thing that went through my head was they're doing a program I mean because if you don't at that point it's the dumbest thing of all time so if people just weren't emotional in the moment and they stopped for two seconds to use their fucking brains um, that 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 wouldn't have been a problem. I mean, it was very obvious that the program that they were they weren't going to beat Lesnar like that and just send Goldberg on his merry way. I mean, you'd have to be dense to think that. And and you know you know maybe I'm being a little harsh and maybe you're right because I didn't I didn't watch live. I watched the replay. Um, now I watched it unspoiled, but I watched the replay. And um, I actually didn't watch the replay. I was like a half hour behind everyone else, so I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, essentially the same thing. But I mean, you know, watching it, I was like, wow, they're they're holy. First, I was shocked, and then I was like, well, there has to be another match. There has to be something else coming. And um, it's funny because then Dave even put that. Dave Meltzer put that in his live report on the site, and people were making fun of him. You know, Dave said, oh well, obviously there's a rematch, and people were like. Why would there be a rematch? And I'm thinking to myself, are you people out of your fucking skulls? Of course there's going to be a rematch. They would never book it this way if there wasn't. If, if they book this not knowing that they had, Les, uh, had Goldberg in the cards moving forward, this would absolutely go down as one of the worst booking decisions in the history of professional wrestling. I, I do think some of the people had uh, questions about the rematch because Goldberg won both prior matches or whatever. But I guess in the build, they did mention the 03 uh, match a lot or the 04. I forgot which year it was. I, I think 03. Uh, they did mention that a lot. But I think in, in Vince McMahon's mind, you're not really supposed to. That's not really canon. Oh, so all, yeah. all, of, all of a sudden in WWE, we care about, uh, you know, like the win-loss records against each other. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. 
It means absolutely zero. Especially not to the man who runs the company. So yeah, I mean, I mean he does it, not care. Yeah, it means nothing. It's if look, if you can make money off a rematch, it doesn't matter if the other guy is six and zero versus the other guy. If the match keeps drawing, you keep doing it. It doesn't mean a thing. You know, it's it, and the idea that people aren't going to pay for another match between these two because they're going to be you know because you know their kids who want Goldberg shirts and are chanting Goldberg in the arena are going to say, you know what, Dad? No, uh, Goldberg won the first two matches. I'm not interested. I mean, it's nonsense. I mean, people are... This is is why I say, Rich, people have completely lost their fucking heads on this entire situation. They're just not thinking clearly. And, and, And it really ties into a big talking point we had last week. Once again, these are more... This is people ripping a booking decision based on emotion. Again, this is another situation of that. You can't let emotion interfere when you're looking at these booking decisions because booking decisions are about facts. They're about business. They're not about your personal emotions. I get that people are fru- but are frustrated, but here's the thing. Like it or not, like him or not, Goldberg is probably the biggest star in this company right now. Okay? You can certainly make a reasonable argument that Goldberg is the biggest star in this company right now. Is that and for the record? It, you're not saying it's okay. No, <laughs> you it, I don't want that right. to be the this case. Is my fo- yeah. This is my. I have a follow up to that. Yeah, yeah. Is that an indictment on the company? Absolutely. Why can't it be both? Why can't we accept that this guy is the biggest star in the company right now, and they would be foolish not to push this guy very, very hard, while also condemning them for the fact that he is the biggest star in the company. I agree that that's a problem, but I would not sacrifice the biggest star in the company and being handed this perfect situation just on the basis that maybe in six months they'll use someone else in this spot. And here's the thing. Is it any kind of guarantee that if someone else beat Lesnar in this manner that they would get over to the same level as Goldberg? Let's not forget, Rich... This man was a huge star in his time, too. Do they even have someone on the roster with this man's charisma and star power? I don't know if they do. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. If Big Cass goes in there and murders Lesnar in the exact same manner, does he get over to this level? Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't think he does. If it's Samoa Joe, does he? I don't know. If it's Nakamura, does he? I would argue that maybe he would. But you don't know. This is a sure thing. This is you. This one we know. It's completely mental to suggest that they should not be doing this. You can, you can be behind that and still condemn them for not getting anyone else over. That's where I am. And I think that's where the, there, a lot of this disconnect lies. Uh, anything else uh, about the Goldberg-Lesnar before we get to the rest of uh, Survivor Series, which I thought there was a much more egregious thing uh, on the Survivor I, I, Series. I, I completely agree. I only have one more thing on, on yeah, the yeah. Lesnar-Goldberg thing. All you dopes are wrong and I'm right. That's it. <laughs> A first, a first year on the Voice Wrestling Podcast, especially from a Joe Lanza. All right. Uh, the more egregious thing I thought on Smack, uh, on the entire Survivor Series show uh, was the match prior, and that was the Team SmackDown Live. It was AJ Styles, Dean Ambrose, Randy Orton, Shane McMahon, and Bray Wyatt uh, versus Team Raw, Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho, uh, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and Braun Strowman. Uh, of course, Team SmackDown Live won, and I thought the way more egregious thing was the fact that Shane McMahon is still on my TV and he's still wrestling, and at different points in this match, he was like the controlling offensive 
weapon of Team SmackDown Live, including at one point fending off both Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, which I thought was just the most ridiculous fucking thing in the entire world. And he's so awful, and he's whopping guys, and Jericho's got a bloody nose, and, and he nearly dies doing his stuff. I mean, no more. Can we, can we end the Shane McMahon thing, finally? I mean, please, can we just stop this? It's so ridiculous, and it makes no sense in storyline either that this guy, it's just beyond silly at this point. Uh, I made the comparison in real time, at least the real time that I was watching the match, that Shane McMahon and that that sequence that you brought up was was the most egregious thing on the show by a mile. And if I people mean, don't ra- go back and watch it, like he is controlling of both of those guys, like both of those guys are like he cleans house <laughs> right. on Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins for about a minute and a half. <laughs> that is way more egregious than anything Goldberg did. Is and that are, this guy? Absolutely, and he, and these are two of their top guys, <laughs> right? And Shane McMahon is cleaning house on these two. I mean, what <laughs> is happening? looks like he's like a, a strong dude, and we and he was a strong dude, and he is kind of a strong dude, and he was a big star. This is Shane fucking McMahon. This is I jump off of high things. Guy. Yeah, I mean, that's like, the, I mean, you can make fun of Bill Goldberg for being 50 if you want, but you cannot tell me that that man does not still look and convey menace when he's in the ring. That guy looks like he would can beat the shit out of anybody on the roster. I have no credibility issues with with Bill Goldberg, whether he has a great mood, a gray beard or not. The guy looks like an ass kicker. Would you agree with that, Rich? Oh, absolutely. Do you have, do you have any credibility issue from a credibility standpoint with Goldberg? Because oh, I do not. No. no, he took that shirt off and he looked like a badass. You're like, all right, he's Goldberg. In, <laughs> like, he's yeah. in tremendous shape. I mean, if I look like that when I'm 50, I mean, you know, watch out, Tinder. Okay. <laughs> that that sequence and and that entire match in general, I think some people enjoy it and I saw some people giving it like four plus stars I thought that thing was just the biggest pile of shit ever 52 minutes and it was just all storyline all run-ins all just cutesy shit I mean when, when I think I put in my review that when there's you know we talk about the telling stories that WWE tells stories this was like the telling stories all-star game here I mean this was everything that Vince McMahon I mean he must have been thinking about this thing for days on end of trying okay we'll do that and then this and then then James Ellsworth is going to come from under the ring and then this is I mean just everything that you can imagine all this just dumb I hated that match and it's like all these dudes are so talented I mean you look at Styles and Ambrose and even Orton uh, Owens Jericho Reigns Rollins even Strowman to an extent is pretty fun to watch I mean those guys are all great and they just made this into the biggest storyline heavy piece of garbage and I had to sit there for an hour and watch that thing it was just oh my god I hated that match and then that Shane McMahon thing happened and I was just like fuck this match and it never got better I I, compl- I despise that match I thought that match was so so terrible and I'm surprised that you know that, it, that main event being so shocking and being what it was made people all forget but man that five on five thing was just the fucking pits what do you think of that one the entire match itself. Man, you really hated that match. I fucking hated it. It was so stupid. I didn't hate it as much as you, but I did think it was egregiously long, and I can't sit here and tell you I enjoyed it. Um, there was a lot going on. I think they, they, they tried to make sure there was a lot going on. There was a lot of different booking things going on. Some of it landed. Some of it didn't. And it was an hour long. I, I really just it – was, it was egregiously long. I think they could have easily cut 10, 12 minutes off of this thing. And then distributed that time amongst other things on the show. Here's the other thing, Rich. They sort of trolled everybody and they gave the show a four-hour window. Um, you know, I think in part to make the Goldberg win even more shocking because the show ended, what, like 50 minutes early or something like that? Oh, it was like, yeah, it was like at the uh, – yeah. 
yeah, like half uh, half hour, nine, maybe nine thirty, maybe nine twenty, somewhere around there. It was done. It was done for us. So yeah, so. I mean, I know they couldn't have cut off a ton of time from this match and 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 ended the the show even you know uh, over an hour early and those sorts of things. But I mean, you could have added a few minutes to some of the other matches to make up for it. Timing wise, I just thought it was egregiously long. And and yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I thought we might have disagreed on this one because I didn't see your take on it because most people really enjoyed this match, and I have to tell you. Um, to me, it was the look. I didn't. You seem to have really fucking hated it. My main complaint in it was way too long. You seem to think it was way overbooked. That correct? That's sort of your deal. That yes, absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see. When we previewed this show, though, I kind of figured this would be the overbooked one. You know, so it's like I kind of saw that coming. But I, I preferred the women's match, to be honest with you. I thought the women's elimination match was just as, as you know, as a straight-up wrestling match. I enjoyed it more than this. This was just too long. I, I don't know. You know me with these long matches. Look, you can get away with it sometimes in, uh, you know, a Royal Rumble or an elimination match. But to me, this was just this, – this is a situation where they weren't able to get away with it. It was too long. Well, you could have gotten away with it, I think, even more if you let these guys just kind of wrestle for a little bit. If you want to tell all these stories and do these storylines things, you can do that. But let these guys have, like, you know, a 10 minutes where they're wrestling or whatever. Let let an AJ Styles and Seth Rollins go back and forth for five, 10 minutes or whatever. Have a, a decent hot tag segment or whatever. It had none of that. It was just, like, story, 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 big spot. Shane McMahon does some shit. Story, stories. Like, everything was just, like, I mean, these guys, you could have done this exact same match. These guys, you, you could have picked 10 random dudes off the street and had this exact same match. And you can't when you have that many talented dudes in that ring, you got to do something more with those guys. You know, that was my biggest thing is that, like, why did it like these guys? You're, you're gift wrapped this super talented roster, a super talented main event scene right now among maybe among the talented, most talented main event scene we've ever seen. I mean, when you really look at it, when you look at, you, you know, uh, Seth Rollins, or Roman Reigns and Ambrose and uh, Styles uh, and Owens and Jericho. I mean, those are really good guys that you have up and down that thing. And then all you do is just this. I mean, I, I liken this and I put this in review. I said, if you consider Survivor Series 1998, one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time, you'll love this. I didn't. <laughs> so I didn't like this. I mean, that's it's it 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 did it, it didn't need to be. Those guys, it's it, it's just a total waste of talent in my mind. It, it's just it was all storyline, all you know, conjecture, all just telling stories, like you said. And I just I, I hated the fact that it's all those talented dudes, and you can't let them just wrestle at any point. I mean, there was never uh, a, a good sequence of wrestling at all in this match. I, I don't remember it. I honestly don't. It was sixty minutes, and I remember no long sequences of guys in the ring. Do you think some of the things they st- okay? Let me run you through some of the things they did, and then you tell me if you thought they landed. I think some of the stuff landed. What do you what do you think of the callback of Ellsworth being the one to eliminate Strowman by holding his leg? Did you enjoy that from uh, from any perspective? Uh, I thought that was okay. I thought that was fine. And then I and, then, and then Strowman tossed of the course didn't stage make... through the table, which I thought was a great. Yeah, time. that was cool. Uh, what didn't make any sense at all is that uh, Strowman got countered out, uh, and then like ten minutes later, the Shield was outside the ring for like eight minutes doing their little Shield thing. Excellent point. And the ref didn't count, but you know, <laughs> excellent hey, point. Hey. <laughs> what about the Shield getting back together to put like uh, they put someone through a table? I don't even remember at this point because it was. So- uh, they put Styles through the table. Yeah, and, I think. and and what about see? And here's another thing: like a lot of the things they did here really didn't pay off. Like they did the Jericho Owens thing, and all that did was set up a comedy segment on Raw. Uh, where, right. where they tease a breakup, so that really didn't lead to anywhere. If that would have led to, well, I think it. Yeah, well, the big issue is it's 60 minutes, and, and you're going to list off, like, seven things here. And it's like, well, when you're trying to get seven things over, True. it's not going to work all that well. Like, yeah, that's, that's another good point. And at the end of the day, the survivors are Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. Um, so they're sort of getting over this idea, you know, that Orton is a Wyatt family member and all that. And you had, um, uh, you had uh, Luke Harper come out and get involved in the finish, which, why did he lose to Kane? 
Can you explain that to me? <laughs> I mean, especially if you're going to so bad. You're going to what, use what's them, funny is you're going to use them later. <laughs> no, you're going to use them later in the show to help get over yes. this new thing. And so why? And Kane is a dead character who <laughs> has already been used in this feud, sort of just to get Randy Orton over, right? It's like. Right. Which I don't have a problem. That should be Kane's role at this point. That's Kane. Kane should never win ever again. And I don't. And I don't. You know. And I don't have a problem with using Kane if that's the manner you're going to use him in. But why did Kane beat Luke Harper on the pre-show? Now, if later on in the show you were going to do something big with Kane, which I would disagree with, but then I would understand. But you didn't do anything with Kane. You did something with Luke Harper. Why did he lose to Kane? I have no idea. What's funny is when I put the review up on the website, I. Pre did a few like I, I I was just going through and I, you know we do our defeated you know X defeated Y or whatever I put Luke Harper defeated Kane when I was writing the initial thing because I was just like there's no way Kane's gonna win I'll just get this done ahead of time I'll forget about it later or whatever I posted the review it was not for another day and a half where someone said I think you have Luke Harper beating Kane and I went oh I guess so like nobody even thought of that like it was such a non like it, it, it's unfathomable that Kane would have defeated Luke Harper in the pre-show I I don't I don't get it at all. And like you said, it makes even less sense, too, when you have Luke Harper come out and it's supposed to be an, oh, my God, there's Luke Harper. And it's like, yeah, he just lost to, like, the dude that's on, like, Fox News talking about, like, election coverage. Or, you know what I mean? Like, that, it's so re- – I mean, the Kane thing is just – I don't know what they're doing. He should never, ever win again. There's no need for Kane to ever win again. You never need to get Kane over. You never need to maintain anything with Kane. Kane just loses. Kane's in a match, he loses. Like, that's all there is to it. I think legitimately Kane's last TV win prior to this was over Ricky Starks on main event. I, I mean, how does he beat Luke Harper on a pay per view? Let's, let's let's okay. Let's let's find out if old Ricky Stark. They do nothing with this man. He's not even getting a semblance of a push. And you're you're trying to do something with the Wyatt family here. It's 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 just unfathomable to me that he lost that match. TV TV and pay per view win here. Like the great old cagematch.net here. Let's. Find out. You have you you're you're putting the betting line at Ricky Stark's main event. It's the last win that I remember Kane having in a singles match on TV. So singles win. Um we beat Fandango uh in September thirteenth on main event, but uh you were not far off. Okay, so there was only <laughs> you had so there were two matches ahead of that. At Backlash two thousand sixteen, he defeated Bray Wyatt in a hold bar match. Remember that? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was perplexing at the time, too. Right. Then he beat Fandango uh, on the 13th. So this was the 11th that he beat Bray Wyatt. Then he beat Fandango on the 13th. And then you are correct. On August 16th, he beat Ricky Starks on main event. So you weren't very far, which is sad. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, I would have never known the Fandango one. I should have remembered the pay-per-view one, but I don't know. Crazy. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. I didn't love this match. I, I don't – you know, it's getting a lot of love. I don't I, – look, I can kind of understand, though. But here's the thing. All of those moments that we're talking about in this match, all of these angles that they shot, none of them ultimately meant anything. So that, that's a big problem. You know, none of it, none mm-hmm. of it resonated. What got advanced here? What, sto- what big-time storyline – where was yeah, the, the only big time story is Randy Orton, you know, showing his allegiance to Bray Wyatt at the end. Right, That's right. But I mean, he had already done that on, on SmackDown for the, la- the pre- previous three weeks. What new storyline was kicked off in this match or what big storyline ended in this match or what big like where was the big the big thing that came out of this 50 minute match? Well, we talked about it in our preview is, OK, this is a match where if you really try, you can make the WrestleMania card. You can lay out five matches for the WrestleMania card right now. As far as I know, we got James Ellsworth versus Braun Strowman at WrestleMania, and that's it. You know what I mean? Like, and that's not going to be at WrestleMania. We, you and I, both know that that's just going to be something they'll they'll blow off on, on some random Raw where he'll just destroy our, Rich, our random. Rich, I think we yeah. saw the blow off. I think the blow off was thirty seconds later. When oh, he, that's true. Yeah, when he tossed him, when he put him <laughs> yeah, the that's table. probably it. yeah. Which right, again right, was right. a great spot. 
And it, and yeah. It, so okay, you're right. You're right. A, so that's it. It was a creative way to eliminate Strowman, but there was really where there was no moment in this match that ended something big or kicked off something big. Yeah, like what's Ambrose doing? What's Rollins doing? What's Reigns doing? Uh, Owens and Jericho was, as you said, they built to a comedy segment. So this is a huge missed opportunity. I mean, this match should have, and, and we mentioned on your preview, you should have three WrestleMania matches ready to go after 50 this. Minutes, and you got 50 minutes that accomplished nothing. Right. Man, we really buried that match. Well, that match fucking sucked, so it deserved to get buried. Anyway, let's let's go through the rest of the card here. Uh, the two pre-match shows, we mentioned the Kane-Luke Harper match. Uh, the other one was TJ Perkins, Rich Swan, and Noam Dar defeating Drew Gulak, Tony Nese, and Davari, which I believe that same match has happened on every single show. As far as I know, uh, that exact same six people have fought each other for the last nine weeks on uh, Cruiserweight television. So I, I, either I that, either to... that match or a derivative of that match. <laughs> it's really hard to to make any sense. And also, by the way, T.J. Perkins got pinned the next night on Raw by Rich Swan to set up Rich Swan's title shot. T.J. Perkins, Rich, is officially dead. It's over. Yeah, that's uh, get the shovels out there. That's that might be done for for a while for old T.J. So, oh man, we'll we'll have to replay the segment of us being so excited about the Cruiserweight Classic. <laughs> so maybe we, maybe we could send it to him on like a USB drive or something like that, so he can remember the good old days. But uh, so then we had the opener of Survivor Series it was Team Raw, Charlotte, Sasha Banks, Bailey, Alicia Fox. Uh, and Nia Jax defeating Team SmackDown Live, Natalia, Carmella, Alexa Bliss, Naomi, and Becky Lynch. Of course, the big storyline going into this was Natalia replacing Nikki Bella. Nikki Bella was attacked backstage before the match got uh, underway. Um, for all intents and purposes, it, it's Natalia that did it. Like, we kind of know that that's the storyline they're going with, which I think is a kind of a cool storyline as well. And I do like Natalia as kind of that, that uh, as a heel figure. I mean, she's really terrible at playing any character. So I guess you got to make the most out of whatever character you can get. But I like her as a heel character. And I thought, um, you know, I don't know that it lost a whole lot with Nikki not being in it and Natalia being in it. Do you agree or disagree? No, I, I, I didn't think it lost anything. With Nikki the Nikki fans will be very upset by us saying that, but, you know. No, I mean, that's, I mean I don't think the match lost anything. I, I, I like this match a lot, actually. I, I gave this, like, three and a half stars. I thought this was really good. I thought the work was good. I thought the, um, the, the chain of eliminations was clever. I thought Nia Jax looked like a million bucks, so I thought that was important. Um, well, I mean, until she tapped out, but... <laughs> I, Fair point. That's a fair point. But they, they re- she really came off like a monster before that point, which... Uh, I do agree, yeah. I wish I wish they had do- not done that tap out. I wish they would have found... I mean, when there's all these... You know, my biggest complaint about a Survivor Series is something stupid where it's a count out, a, a DQ or whatever. This would have been the perfect moment to just do some stupid little cop-out DQ because her tapping was not necessary. I mean, whatever it is, if she's chasing somebody, whatever, this is the moment when you do one of those cop-out Survivor Series eliminations. Don't let her tap out in the middle of the ring. The other I thing like was the armbar looked weak because... It was applied so awkwardly. I think that was yeah, and that was after the botched double DDT too. So they botched that double DDT, and then they put in the really awkward uh, armbar that Nia never felt like it was all that comfortable. And she didn't really look like she was in that much pain because I think she thought that Becky was gonna you know let it go and then reapply it or something like that. So Nia at no point really ever kind of looked like she was in much danger. And then all of a sudden, I think she had this idea of okay, you're not changing it. Okay, I'll tap. And it just the whole sequence looked a little bit weird. I wish they would. I wish that just didn't exist because this match is so much better in my mind if that whole minute doesn't exist. Becky kind of just sat on her back and pulled the arm backwards. It was very, it was, it, it was a very yeah, awkward spot. So that's a, well, it's a weird position to put Nia Jackson as well. I mean, Becky's a small person and, and Nia's, you know, huge or whatever. It's it just, it's a weird thing to do to try. It, it, optically, it, it looked very weird. I'd also just like to point out before we move on that Carmella got an awful reaction and did not look, and, oh my God. And also didn't look good in the match. And no, I'm not letting it go. She gets. I mean, like the noise that I I I had trouble because I was with my buddy and I said, 
do you ever notice that when Carmelo comes out, there's like nothing? And he, he hates Carmelo. I mean, he just absolutely despises her, which is weird because he's a he's a, a sassy Italian man himself. So I thought he would enjoy. No, the, see, uh, that's uh, the thing, Rich. As am I, and that's why we don't like her. I'm gonna. T- I, I don't know because I was like, oh, you're not into Carmelo, and he's like, no. And I'm like, what? Like if if a girl like Carmelo walked down the street, I thought you'd be like no, going nuts no, about that's it. But, the yeah, thing. That's what you guys. Don't, I don't get this it. This is what you people. This is what you non paisans don't understand about Carmelo. Okay. And I'm gonna, Please I'm gonna explain me, yeah. to you. She is what you call 100% fugazi. She's a fake. She's a fraud. We all know it. It's, she's, 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 she's not what she uh, professes herself to be, okay? Enzo Amore is the real fucking deal. You take that guy out of the company, he's going to be the same fucking guy, whether you think he's an annoying little shit like I do or whether you think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread like a lot of you. That's him. And I respect him because that's him. That was him before he was in the company. That'll be him after he's out of the company. That guy is walking around Bayonne, New Jersey right now. There's a million little Enzos running around Bayonne, New Jersey. Carmella is a fraud. She's and, and she's terrible at her job. She's terrible at portraying this character. She isn't what she professes to be. And she's in dire need of a gimmick switch. So no rich. A true wop. Does not does. <laughs> I've discovered this. Yeah. A true wop does not like Carmella. Carmella is a fake. She's a fraud. She stinks, and I think everybody kind of sees through it. And and you know, again, horrible reaction from a red hot crowd where everybody was over. Yeah, everybody got over, and then like she came out, and it was like. Bruh. And her music makes it the best too because it doesn't like start off that loud either, which I think makes it so much better when there's just like those crickets because you just hear that bump, bump, bump. There's just like nothing. She's awesome. Absolutely nothing. Like it's not even like groaned. It's not booze. It's not cheers. I've never seen like like everybody just decides like there's somebody like coordinating it. Like all right, in two seconds we're all gonna be quiet. Like it, it's just it's it's um ridiculous. And and one of the things that I one of the other reasons why I didn't like this match maybe as much as you did and as as much as other people is one of the things I thought was really odd is. The the finishing sequence had Bailey as a part of a two on one advantage, and she's beating somebody down. And then I just, what did you think of that? Because I thought that's just a complete lack of understanding of what Bailey is all about and what the Bailey character should be. Because it's a really weird situation to put her in, where she's kind of showing Charlotte how good she is, and she's in a two on one advantage, and and kind of beating somebody up and then pinning them, and kind of bragging about, oh hey look look how good I am. I just don't know if that's what Bailey should ever be. It's a fair point, but I think I can give them a pass here because the story they wanted to get over was Charlotte just being an asshole to Bailey again and throwing aside the team camaraderie and just, you know, beating the shit out of her after the match to put over the... So I, I really didn't have a problem with that. Um, but I definitely... I do see where you're coming from, though. Bailey really should be the one who's against... who's, uh, you know, on the other side of the two versus one odds. But in this case, I think it was just to show, hey, look, Bailey's a team player. She's out there. She, she you know, she won the match for her team. And Charlotte is just this vile, unlikable heel, which she is, by the way. She's a tremendous heel. And, right. And, and, and it is good to have Bailey win sometimes as well. I didn't like the idea that she was on, you know, at the advantage or whatever. But I think it is a good idea that she just doesn't go out there and lose every single time she's out. We're going to talk about a match here in a little bit where, you know, this other opponent, they think they could just beat him like all the time and it's going to work. And, and that's not necessarily how it's going to work. Where Bailey, I think it's good that she does look confident and does get some wins here and there. I mean, she could still kind of play her character, but it, it's good that every so often she does look the part and, and, and looks like she deserves 
uh, the, the positions she's in. So I didn't like that idea, but I didn't like her being the advantage. But but I can see. I mean, it, it, it worked within the story uh, confines. And then the man I was talking about here, this is the WWE Intercontinental Championship match. This is The Miz defeating Sami Zayn. And it was Sami Zayn yet again losing and yet again losing by nefarious means and being scro- screwed over or whatever. And I said this in my review as well. I, a, I thought this match was really good. I thought it was a fantastic match up until that point. And the finish could work if... And, and I said even in my thing, and I use this liberally, uh, use if liberally, knowing that they're on different brands and it is WWE. But if they can follow this up and Zayn finds a way to, you know, eventually over or over time gets his revenge on Miz, then I like the finish. If it's just a screwy way to kind of make the Miz be an asshole and to kill Zayn again and have him lose again, I don't like it from that aspect. What do you think of this match? Well, they're not going to do anything because the next night Zayn lost to Strowman. And, right. and, and <laughs> you know, and, and where Mick Foley, for some reason, came out and stopped the match, which just makes Zayn look worse, honestly. I know what they were trying to do there, but to me, it didn't really uh, it didn't really connect. But, yeah. look, this match was fine. But, you know, we weren't in Montreal, but we were in Canada, so they had to give us another Survivor Series Canadian finish. I think that had a lot <laughs> to do with it, even though it's now 30 fucking years or whatever it is after the fact. 20, wait, 19 years, right? So it's like... You know, we're going on 20 years and they're still doing this shit every single opportunity they get. Uh, You know, and a lot of people there aren't even 19 years old and have no idea what the hell is going on. But, yeah, it was a good enough match. Um, You know, I don't have a ton to say about this. I thought – Yeah, it's hard to really have any strong thoughts on this match. It's fine, but, yeah. It's it's more the same with – you know, they're going to keep coming up with creative finishes involving Maurice to put over the idea that Miz is this delusional guy who thinks he's a worthy champion – but he really isn't, and you know, it's you got to expect you have to expect it. Um, you know, so it's like I didn't get worked up. A lot of people got worked up over the finish. I didn't because I expect Maurice to be involved in all of these finishes now. That's the story. Um, and now the uh, next match we'll move on to was the uh, huge, huge ten on ten tag. Uh, tag just traditional Survivor Series match, whatever you want to call it. It was the the New Day team raw. This is team raw, by the way. Uh, the New Day: Sheamus and Cesaro, Enzo and Cass, the Shining Stars, and then Gallows and Anderson. Uh, and they defeated Team SmackDown Live, and that was Heath Slater and Rhino, the Hype Bros, American Alpha, Breezango, and did I miss anybody? Oh, and the Usos. Yeah, of course, the Usos. Uh, Set on Ted. What do you think of this one? Because this is my match of the night. I absolutely fucking love this match. And this was, I, I even said at a point that I wish they had kind of slowed down a little bit, which I, I can't believe that I was saying it. They should have slowed down a little bit. But this match was like, when it was over, and it was 18 minutes, when it was over, my head was just spinning of like, what did I just see? And, and like, it was both a benefit because it was like, oh my God, you couldn't look away and every second something incredible was happening. But the other time too, it was like, man, I'm, I'm going to have a really tough time like remembering everything that happened in this match because everything happened so goddamn fast but i went four stars with it i really loved it what do you think of it i i thought it was okay i didn't like it that much um i thought it was it was it was just a match i thought it was okay um really uh, yeah you'd just be all about you'd be all about this i mean i thought it it was all right i mean i didn't hate it i didn't love it i like the women's match better honestly um i really like that women's match uh, that's indefensible that's i I mean (laughs) i i don't know i think i'm the high man on the women's match i think I think you're the only man that would. Say I think that, so. Okay, that, that's on. fine. Look, I've been on an island before. I got to be honest, man. But I mean, I, this was okay. I didn't. I, I look. I have no strong feelings on this match. So here's what we can do. I can continue babbling and repeating that it was okay, or we can like move. <laughs> right. I, I have. I have like nothing to say. I thought it was. Man, no. I thought it was Jeez. a match. I don't know. I don't. I don't think there was anything bad about it. I don't think there was anything particularly great about it. Man, I thought it was incredible. I, 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 I'm shocked. I thought you would love this thing. Because I, I thought there was just a lot of really good stuff to like here. I thought Gable and Jordan looked uh, impressive, and Gable in particular. Oh, the Steiner uh, spot. He, the Steiner spot was great. 
like he, yeah, and then like the the O'Connor roll into the German suplex, yeah. and then he just dives over the top. Like Gable's so fucking good. That guy has no right to be as good as he is, and it's a shame that he's not on a better trajectory than he is right now. But I, I'm going to give him time, you know, of course, because he's. But he's a guy. He's one of those cream rise of the top type guys that you can keep him down all you want, but something's going to happen where you're not going to have a choice but to do whatever you can with. He's now he's listen. Just, he's small. But yeah, here's yeah. the thing with Gable. He's either going to, like you said, be a cream rise to the top kind of star where you, he, he won't be denied, or at minimum, he's going to be one of those mid-card workhorse types that is a smart favorite for the next 20 years. There's no way that this guy's career will be a failure, though. He's going to be something. I'm just not sure what that something is going to be. But you're right. He's, yeah. he, there, there, there's some, that guy is really fucking good. And they really should should try to do a better job getting that team over. Um, but I, I, you know, there's there's there, I have no confidence in the main roster booking, uh, especially when it comes to a mid card act. Exactly. Uh, Cesaro, I thought, looked really good in this match as well. And there was just a, of, a lot of really good, I thought, high spots, a lot of good like kind of tag team saves and whatnot. And I thought the, the sequence at the end, the Usos and, you know, versus Sheamus and Cesaro, was a really cool kind of... I, I mentioned it as a micro-match in my review. I just thought those guys showed uh, a lot of really good uh, sequences there. And then they had a little bit of time, too, to just kind of have a match between those two. And, and it looked like good. It, it's a match I would definitely love to see in the future. And it was cool, too, to see Sheamus and Cesaro have a little bit of chemistry as well as they're kind of building through that. And, and they're a team that, if they want to really just have those guys be a team for a while and I know they're always going to have that kind of awkwardness and and they just exist to break up at some point but I think they could really have something there if they have those two because those are two guys that are just kind of they don't really have anything to do right now but they could really add a lot of uh, a benefit to that tag division just being one of those monster teams or being a, a, a team filled with two guys that you know that could on their own be great but could be just awesome as a team as well so I, I I'd like to, to have them sort of be a team for a little bit you know a little bit longer than I do think that they're going to do with here but uh yeah it's just uh, a lot of stuff happening in this match a lot of really Really crazy high spots, and I thought that was you know the juxtaposition of this to what the next match would be. It was the cruiserweight championship. Uh, Brian Kendrick defeating Kalisto oh, by one more quick, Aaron Corbin one, one more. Oh, go ahead, one go more on, yeah. quick thing on the on the tag match. There's Pinky Sanchez. There's Sammy Callahan. There's the Brahmin brothers. There's Joey Ryan, and there's Mojo Rawley. Rich, I hate this man. I so I hate I legitimately hate Mojo Rawley. I think he is such a piece of garbage. I, it makes me like the other men that I previously mentioned. When this man gets in a wrestling ring, it makes me angry. I am legitimately seething when I watch Mojo Rawley wrestle. I get that he is an over exuberant dork, and that's the idea, and that you're supposed to kind of think it's charming that he's an over-exuberant dork. The problem with Mojo Raleigh is I don't think anyone is charmed that he's an over-exuberant dork. I think that people just think that he's a dork. It's not working. There are people who I trust who tell me that Mojo Raleigh is going to be some kind of enormous star. Oh, now, now listen, my idea is not to embarrass those people, so I'm not going to name them because I'm not... That's Look, they're entitled to that opinion and they're opinions that I respect. Okay. Actually, it's wrong, though, one but. person in particular, but it's like, and I respect that opinion, and that person knows Mojo Raleigh a lot better than I do and has seen it, what he can do a lot better than I can, and, but it's like, I do not fucking see it. I think this guy is the biggest fucking geek going, and he makes me physically angry when he gets in a wrestling ring. I cannot stand Mojo Raleigh. I, I, I mean, 
I'm biting my fucking teeth just thinking about Mojo Rawley and how annoying he was in that match in particular, too. Maybe that's why I'm not so high in this match, because of his dumb sequence <laughs> that's a possibility, where he went yeah. in there and, it, and just annoyed the fuck out of me and did his stupid ear clap. This guy's got to go. I cannot stand Mojo Rawley. And it's a, I know it's somewhat irrational how angry it makes me. I cannot stand the man. I just, he is pretty easily avoidable, though, which is a good, good thing. But Maybe there's a future in him as some kind of angry monster, but this thing is not working. I don't think there is. It's no. not working. I hate him, Rich. I hate him. I hate Mojo Rawley. I hate him. Hate. I think you always hate the uh, the simpleton characters. I think that's your problem, and he's he's, he's one borderline of simpleton. You're right. Like he's yeah. That, I think you just you, you just really I just hate like that those. gimmick. That the worst gimmick is the mentally slow gimmick. I think number one, it's like insulting uh, to mentally to like mentally challenge people. Number one, number two, I, I think that's what they're trying to do with Mojo, right? He's like, like that's, one th- I, I've always had that idea. He's not that far off. Is he really that far off from like Evad Sullivan? No, he's not, and that's why I've always thought the whole gimmick was supposed to be kind of. Is he that far like off? Like what? From, what Bailey he, started as? Is he that far off? Like from, kind of the fan. Yeah, go is, ahead. Is he that far off from Bugsy McGraw, or Evan uh, really, Sullivan, no. or or Eugene? Is he really that far off? Like they don't like those characters. You were supposed to think that they were mentally handicapped. I don't think you're supposed to think he's mentally handicapped. But he behaved. Uh, I think he, you're supposed to think he's teetering on the line of it. It's uh, he's on. He, listen, he's on the spectrum, Rich. Mojo Rawley, I think you're supposed to think he's on the spectrum. Are we off base with this? No, I, I think that's what the goal is. I've always thought that as well. I mean, so like Jerry Seinfeld, Jerry, like Jerry Seinfeld says, like we're all on the spectrum. Like that's a big Jerry. But but this guy, I think you're supposed to think he's on the spectrum. I really think that that's the idea here. And I and you're right. You nailed it. I think I hate that fucking gimmick. And I think he's like one degree off from that gimmick. And I I that's like the worst. I that's you can't have a worse wrestling gimmick than that. All right, then we had the Cruiserweight Championship match, as I mentioned again. This is Brian Kendrick uh, versus Kalisto, and this was, if Kalisto had won the title, the Cruiserweight division would be transferred to SmackDown. We all said, well, geez, that's the most logical thing ever with 205 launching, you know, 205 Live launching. It'd be perfect. You get the title away from Brian Kendrick. You let Kalisto have the title. You get the Cruiserweight division over to the, the brand it should have always been. Uh, and then Baron Corbin came in and just destroyed both of them because fuck this whole division, and I don't know what we're even doing here anymore. I don't know why we're trying with this division anymore. I, I, I'm ready to just say, you know, if tomorrow it disappeared and they never mention it again, and, and they never said anything about the Cruiserweights ever again, and it was never, ever on WWE main roster television ever mentioned, mentioned again, and, and 205 Live just existed on the network in its own little universe, and they don't even mention it, they don't even advertise it on Raw, I'd be perfectly okay, because I don't know what the fuck they're doing with this division, but I, I, this, I threw in the towel after this one, I went, okay, it's it, like, you have no idea what you have here, you have no idea what you're doing, I don't care anymore, you, you've made it, I, I can't possibly get passionate or care about it anymore, what are you doing, what are we, why are we bothering with this at all? I agree. I'm going to give it a. Ch- I'm going to give 205 Live a chance because I think that could be a resurrection of what we saw in the. Crew well, that's. I think going to be its own universe. I really hope that that's just its own little like. Yeah, all this other shit happens over here, but this is really cool. This is our home. This is our own little thing that we do. If it's that, then I'm all in on 205 here's Live. Here's what's it's weird the though. I don't. I, I don't here. think it's going to be its own universe. But here's what I think it's going to be, which is going to be odd. I think on Raw they're going to shoot angles for 205 Live. And they're going to do all this stupid shit that we don't like about the Cruiserweights on Raw. And it's going to be the same storylines on 205 Live, except they're just going to wrestle. And I think it's going to be like this weird dichotomy where it's completely opposite of what you see on Raw in the ring. But the storylines kind of carry over, which is going to be really fucking weird. Yeah, it's going to be hard for them to maintain that, too, because they're going to forget. And and yeah, that's going to just be a nightmare. Yeah, so I mean, I'm going to give it a chance because if it's good wrestling, I'll be into it. 
But what I was going to say about this match is I thought this was the best match on the show until the finish. I thought this was an really you know, you're out of your I, mind. You what, what were you on this weekend? There was a lot of good work in this match. The Callisto uh, Spanish fly from the apron to the floor I thought was incredible. I thought that was a that was one that was a great spot. I thought thing. I thought yeah. Kendrick was excellent in this match. Like look, yeah, those those side headlocks are pretty awesome. Look, when were, he did listen when he snapped Callisto over from the top rope and transitioned into the captain's hook from the top rope, I thought that was a great looking spot. I think of listen, this is. Some of the TJ Perkins matches were kind of just, eh, they were like three-star matches, two and three-quarters or whatever. They were okay. There was nothing wrong with them. I really enjoyed this one. I think if this one was on a 205 Live or a Cruiserweight Classic, people would have been talking. And, of course, and again, because the finish ruined everything. I, look, I'm not put, you know, I'm not defending the finish at all. The finish was garbage, and it was the it it really pounded home everything that's wrong with the division, like you've stated already. But until that point, I really enjoyed the work in this match, and I was really getting into this match. So the finish really destroyed something that I was enjoying more than you guys were apparently, because I I, I enjoyed the work here. I thought it was very good. Did you take up drinking this weekend? I did not. Okay, are you sure? Listen. You can tell me if you did. It's all right. Listen, Rich. We're here. We're all here for Listen, you. Listen, Joe Lanz is his own man. I beat. <laughs> You're. I, what, this, I thought this was everything that was wrong with the division, even the work, because you had that match prior, which was just high spots on high spots, and these guys flipping and doing amazing things. You know, and, that, and that's heavyweight tag, man. You know, that's heavyweight tag guys doing this. And then you have this cruiserweight match, and it's Brian Kedrick working fucking side headlocks for 10 minutes. And then, yeah, you had your Spanish fly, which was cool. And you had, you, you know, the, the, the fish, uh, the, the hook uh, off the top as well. That was cool. But, like, that was it. Like, the captain's hook, rather. But that, that was, like, those were your two, like, spots that really stood out. Otherwise, it was just Brian fucking Kendrick doing those goddamn side no, headlocks. No, you're not. Here's and the thing. Kalisto down. Not, and that's cool. I don't want that on my cruiserweight. <laughs> I know you don't. And I know you're not wrong. Why would I want that I, out of my cruiserweight? Why? Why? Okay, these guys are here's here's a bunch of tag dudes doing a bunch of fucking crazy stuff, and look how awesome these guys are. Oh, and here are a bunch of small guys doing rest holds. There you go. Why is this not getting over? I can't imagine it, Joe. And the crowd was fucking silent the entire time because it's just small guys doing rest holds. Why would they care about that? Rich is on fire. I love that? it. He's on fire. <laughs> I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I think maybe. I'm not judging this match against the Cruiserweight Classic. I'm judging it against what we've seen in the division, I think. Maybe that's why I liked it. So it was the best-smelling piece of shit this division's had Hey, so listen, far. maybe that's it. I, I Look, look, man. <laughs> I sat down, I watched the match, and I fucking liked it. I don't know what else to tell All you. Right. Well, no, you're wrong. You're Again, you're wrong. Your opinion. You're, you're going to be wrong a lot today. And I, I yeah. And there's parts that you're going to – like, I'm going to agree with you later, and people are going to disagree, but, man, you're, you're off on a – I don't know. You're on a world today. I don't know. What hey, that's doing. okay. Listen, you know, we're, we're all right. People all do right. say that we agree too much, so that's good. So I'm, I'm glad we're, we're we're mega disagreeing tonight. So so far, I, I enjoy it as well. You're so wrong. <laughs> that's fine. Hey, listen, that's fine. I'm not offended by it. <laughs> that's good. No, it's good. It, you know, listen, it's a fucking wrestling match. Here's the here's a here's a big problem too. That we're coming to blows. I'm 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 actually mad at you now, and you're a bad person. When so. if people like when it's like you can't disagree, you know, you know, or it's got to be this fine. All right, I liked it. You didn't. That's I'm not doing. I'm not doing the show next week either. Uh, I'm so mad now. I'm I'm fuming that you you disagreed with me. But yeah, I'm 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 shocked. I uh, wow, yeah, that match sucked. But all right. <laughs> there we go. Uh, do we have anything else? On Survivor Series, I don't think so because then we had after that we had the the SmackDown the giant fifty minute match and then we had Goldberg Lesnar. So there you go. That's that's Survivor Series. You want to get into NXT now? Want to stay in WWE yes. land? All right, let's do it. So NXT Takeover Toronto, and now let's talk about the main event because I think that's one that we're gonna again disagree on. So I guess we'll just get it out of the way right now. Samoa Joe Shinsuke Nakamura, you love this match. I yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I thought it was great. 
Um, and, and, and here's the things I loved about it. Let me defend my opinion before you rip it to shreds because you're all fired up tonight. <laughs> I really won't. I, I think we're not going to differ all that much on it, but, but, but go ahead. I think – well, I think you kind of just thought it was another one of these NXT main events that was, that was fine but didn't blow you away. Um, now, listen, I, it didn't blow me away either. I don't think it's a match of the year contender or anything like that. I gave it four and a quarter. Um, but what I really liked about it is I think it really – this match really mirrored the feud and it really mirrored the build. I thought the build to this match was fantastic. I, cr- I, I crash-watched all of the NXT before I watched the show. I rewatched all the NXT episodes. And I really think they did an excellent job building this match, and I was fired up for the match coming into it. I liked the idea that Joe was just this this angry motherfucker who was killing jobbers uh, in the buildup, and you know whether it was Blake and Murphy and ruining their match or just attacking. Uh, you know, I thought they were brilliant when they uh, who's who's the guy they built up uh, the, the 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 really tall muscle bound dude on NXT. They gave him all those promos for a few weeks. Matha, Dan Matha, right? And then they, yeah, yeah. Then they debut him, and Joe just fucking murders him. And it's like that was so smart. That was so brilliant because you never see that sort of thing in WWE, right? You expect that guy to just then debut and and they push him to the moon. But Joe just goes in there and headbutts him and throws him out of his ring and demands Nakamura. And then finally Nakamura returns and he snaps and he's killing people on the go-home show. And then the match mirrored that. These guys came out and they went right at each other. And what I really liked about it is this was unlike – this was so atypical of a WWE main event and a big-time WWE uh, big show uh, main event in that you didn't – the closing stretch is really what put it over for me because you didn't have guys kicking out of each other's finishers. You didn't have guys countering each other's finishers over and over. What you had was Samoa Joe – uh, destroying Nakamura on those ring steps, which was a callback to an angle they did on the television show, which I, you know I love that stuff, Rich. I love the continuity. Yeah. I love the callbacks. And then he threw that motherfucker in the ring. He gave him a muscle buster in the middle, and he pinned him clean in the middle. Okay, First he gave him a low blow. Okay, Then he gave him the spot on the stairs. Then he gave him that muscle buster clean in the middle, and he held the title over his head with the blood trickling down his face. Again, the accidental blood. You know I love the accidental blood. You see there's a lot of things I personally love going on in this match. A great build. Yeah, this is the, accidental blood is, your, is, is akin to Dave Meltzer in a ladder. Yes. You know, if there's a ladder in the ring, if there's accidental blood, you guys are – that's an extra star and a half, guaranteed. For, for him, it's the ladder. For me, it's the accidental blood. I love – Or edge. Or edge. <laughs> I love the accidental blood. I love – love the fact that, uh, you know, there was just so many things that they did. And here's the other thing, too. As great as Joe was in the match, because I thought he was great, his intensity, his facial expressions, the way he's not the wrestler he was, Rich, but God, is his character work on another level. He really gets Mm -hmm. across his character in his work, which I think as you get older, this is what we talk about, the sliding scale. His athletic scale and his working scale is really getting close to empty. But the other scale, his mental scale and his ability to convey his character and his work, that's almost at its peak. He's almost complete opposites on the scale, but it's working for him, and he's a Adjusted. And Nakamura is not getting enough credit for this match. Look, this was a Joe match. Don't get me wrong. He dominated the match, which I think was, again, perfect for the story they're telling. That he was so focused coming into this match. And then he got the job done. And Rich, you know I love in this company 
when heels don't look like dopes and when they don't have to cheat to get the job done. Just because he's a heel doesn't mean he couldn't be focused and get the job done. It makes him feel like a legitimate threat. Like when someone beats him, whether it's Nakamura beating him in the third match or whether it's someone else beating him, it's going to mean more because he's a, because they established him as a no... This dude was focused, he was pissed about losing his title, and he went in there and he won it back. And it got me fired up. That's what I love about pro wrestling. It was simple and it was effective. And the finish was great. And Nakamura was so good selling in this match. Rewatch this match. He's screaming in pain. He's screeching in pain as Joe is just beating him down. And he's rolling around on the mat. And he's, he's like, he's got this, this intensity. He's almost crying in, in pain. I mean, I thought Nakamura was, was great. And he was barely on offense. And it didn't matter. It was very similar to Lesnar in a lot of ways. It mirrored Lesnar's performance against Goldberg, where these guys were so good in really taking a, a, a massive defeat. I mean, Joe was in control for 80% of this match. I don't know, man. This match just just, just marked all of my boxes. Again, is it going to show up in my top 10 of the year? No. Do I think it was a great match? Yes. I think it was the second best match of the weekend for WWE. And and, and I'm just... I'm in, Here's the other thing, too. I am... Inve- if you haven't been able to tell, Rich, I'm, in, <laughs> I'm invested in this story. I, I, I know yeah. a lot of people aren't. And I get that they're not. Because, they you know, Nakamura hasn't been great. I've been critical of Nakamura. Joe is not what he was athletically. I get it. But I happen to be invested in in this story, so I think that helps a lot too as to why I love this match. Rich, bury it. I no, I'm not going to bury it. So that's the problem. Is I, I just I I think you you brought it up right there at the end. There, I'm just not invested in the story all that much. I'm just not invested in Shinsuke Nakamura whatsoever in NXT. I thought, and, and you 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 nailed it exactly. What I was going to say about what I loved about this match was Samoa Joe. I thought Samoa Joe against anybody in this match would have killed it. I thought he was just on a next level here, and I've really enjoyed what they've done with him over the last weeks of NXT, because I did the same thing. I was way behind NXT, and I said, okay, TakeOver's coming up this Saturday. I'm going to sit down today. I'm going to watch the last five episodes or six episodes or whatever of NXT, and I did. And, and what you really come across is Joe's fucking awesome. Joe is just on another level character-wise. He just understands what he's supposed to do with this roster. And, and I think for some people, they're upset because it's not Ring of Honor Samoa Joe. It's not even at TNA Samoa Joe, like peak TNA Samoa Joe either. It's a whole different character. It's a whole different thing that Samoa Joe is doing, but he just does it so well right now and and again I was looking it up as you were talking he's 37 right now so he's right in what we what you and I consider that sort of peak when you really like the athleticism and your wrestling smarts kind of get together at the right point he's 37 right now he's got it he's in that part but I thought no he's been incredible and I thought he in this match was so so good because it was just him just decimating Nakamura and I love the finishing sequence too where he just killed him he just absolutely killed him the problem for me is I just I'm not invested in Shinsuke Nakamura and I thought he wasn't very good here I thought the crowd was better at getting Nakamura over as a babyface than he was at getting himself over I thought the crowd you know singing his song try to get him out of uh you know the headlocks and get and, and them trying to kind of rally him or whatever but I never really felt that Nakamura was really trying all that hard. I never felt like I really have to root for Nakamura here. Oh, I can't wait to see Nakamura come back. I can't wait to see what he can do. I can't wait to see him, you know, finally get his end of the bargain or, or finally, you know, stop Samoa Joe. I just didn't care. I was just like, I, I kind of want Joe to just to fucking beat the hell out of him. And that sucks. I don't want that. I want that heel face dynamic. Uh, NXT is so good at creating that big monster, that big heel and that big face. Even Kevin Owens, who I've always loved, the Kevin Steen, I've always been a big fan of him. I wanted nothing more than the same. 
Sami Zayn beat him. I'd wanted nothing more than Sami Zayn to beat Adrian Neville in that in that famous match that they had. I've never wanted more than you know a Bailey to beat a Sasha Banks or whatever. I've always loved those stories, and NXT is so good at telling just such clear heel face dynamics where I'm just not invested in Nakamura as a face, and I don't know why. And I think a lot of people are that same way as well. I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, I don't care about him. And when this match was going on, I was basically like, all right, whatever. I just hope Joe wins. And Joe won. And I went, okay, cool. I'm glad he won. Joe's great. Nakamura, huh, I could take him or leave him. So that's really my thing. I was, I'm just not invested in Nakamura. And when you're not invested in a half of a match, it's really hard to get hyped up for it. So I didn't care that Nakamura was getting his ass kicked. I didn't care that he was maybe going to try to rally. I didn't care that he was selling his neck or whatever. I just don't care about Nakamura right now. And that's, I guess, a, a, a me issue. But it seems like other people are kind of on the same wavelength as well. Because I don't know what it is. I, I, look, I, just, I, I, just not I, into it. I get people who don't care about Nakamura because we've been critical of him on this show. I think he's bored. And I think he's a guy who gets bored very easily. And uh, I, I just don't think he's into it. But here I thought his selling was excellent. I don't think this was a match that was built to uh, – to, to, I, I don't think they were building to tease Nakamura comebacks in this match. So I think this was a match that was built to tease a longer-term Nakamura comeback because I think the idea was he came in with the injured neck. Uh, you know, Joe went right after it, exploited it, and uh, then went after his knees to take away the uh, – the Bumaye, whatever he calls it now, I can never get that straight. Yeah, Kinshasa, Kinshasa. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like um, I don't think the idea was to get people to rally behind Nakamura comebacks here because I just don't think that was the structure of the match. It was a very anti WWE match. Do you agree with that? In that, I do. Yeah, this would make this would have been fine in like a pro main event, or you know what I mean, not like a New Japan, like a modern New Japan, you know, main event. This is like a an old like a, a '90s New Japan match or whatever, where like one guy is just so clearly better than the other guy and just has his number on this night and they, they can right. tell that story and they used to be able to tell that story so well WWE it, it, it's different they don't tell that story very often no you were no. kind of all waiting I think we were all waiting for okay Joe's beating him down Joe's beating him down Joe's beating him down Nakamura's gonna pop up here hit a Kinshasa hit a two of them and then pin Joe and win and that never happened and that's kind of always the shock yeah or were we waiting for these guys to trade finishers and you know yeah it never happened that's what that's not what this match was and I think um you know, from start to finish, I think these guys, it was a very cerebral match and not, and, and it's unlike anything we usually see in this company, uh, which is probably why I liked Brock and Goldberg so much too. Cause again, that was the antithesis of what they normally give you. And, uh, it's really unlike what they give you in NXT as well. You know, NXT, you're expecting that, um, you know, just awesome work ready, uh, smart, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the type of main event that would appeal to like a smart fan. And that wasn't this. This was, I don't know other way to describe it other than it was a very cerebral match. I mean, connected with me on, on every level. I just, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, but I completely understand the reasons why other people didn't. Absolutely. All right, let's do uh, the other matches on this show. We had Bobby Roode and Ty Dillinger in the opener. What do you think of this one? I thought the entrances were awesome, of course. Uh, Roode's in particular was great. Uh, I thought Dillinger's was just as good, though. I thought the crowd really being invested in Ty Dillinger was a cool part of this as well. Uh, the crowd throughout the match was great, but it was just kind of a Bobby Roode match, and I know some people hated it more than others. I kind of go into every Bobby Roode match going, hey, it's going to be about two and a half stars or two stars or whatever, and, and that's exactly what this one is. I don't get really invested too much in the actual match of a Bobby Roode because I know that it's just going to kind of be a Bobby rude match and and this was that again i thought i liked it maybe a little bit more than other people but i i don't know it was fine to me i thought perfectly perfectly acceptable pro wrestling from bobby rude that's that's kind of the the baseline for him i think bobby rude is the luckiest pro wrestler on earth he is a nothing pro wrestler he is the antithesis of a it's ironic he's wrestling a guy whose gimmick is 10 bobby rude is the antithesis of a five in every way 
his in-ring ability, his look, his charisma. The guy is just average as fuck. And he lucked out with this theme song. And it's all he has. He has nothing else going for him aside from this song. Anyone who got this song would have been an enormous beneficiary to this. And I haven't been shy about this opinion. It's being wasted on Bobby Roode. Because look at what it's done for him. And it's making him come off as a star. Imagine if you gave this song to someone who was a deserving star. Or someone who could naturally be a star without it. And then you give them this song on top of it. The guy is the luckiest wrestler on earth to be the recipient of this theme song and to be the recipient of this great entrance. And this was a nothing match. This match was 100% the crowd because the crowd was hot for this and brought this match up up to the mediocre level that it achieved. This was a Bobby Roode match. Bobby Roode match does nothing for me. I mean, he's just a guy. And, you know, because of this song and because of this entrance, he's going to be a top guy, at least in NXT he is. So, you know, buckle in. You're going to get a lot more Bobby Roode. And um, I don't, I don't think it's not a good thing for. Anybody, I don't think it's a good honest. thing. I see nothing in this man, um, yeah. and and you know, but it, it's you know, it's it, it's going to be full steam ahead with him. And I don't blame them because I do think he's over, and you know, they, they and he deserves the push that he gets. But it doesn't mean that I have to like it. Yeah, he, he's so different because there are guys where people ring up and they're like, oh, you know what, if you brought him into X or whatever, oh, TNA didn't use him properly. I thought TNA did a great job with that guy. I mean, the guy was a big deal from like two, you know what I mean? Like this guy was a TNA world champion in like 2011. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like this is a guy where people saw him in TNA and went, oh man, if somebody just gets a hold of this guy, they can really do something with him. Oh man, if they really just push him. That guy was pushed for a long time, like five years, and did nothing in that company. I mean, he won the title, he lost. Yeah, maybe they could have used him a little bit better, but this is not a guy that's like new or fresh or, oh my God, if you just get the right creative behind this guy. I mean, this guy had the title for a long time. Like he was a big deal in that company for a long time and just did nothing with it. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not excited about more Bobby Roode in my life. I, look, but. I think TNA, they, they, they tried very hard with Bobby Roode. I think Bobby Roode was always considered a kind of a top guy there, even when he was involved in tag teams. His tag teams mm-hmm. were a big deal. And look, yeah, he won the title in 2011, but like the beer money was like one of the most over acts in that entire company for, you know, months, yeah. years before that. I mean, and God, even back to the Team Canada thing, he was a big deal. So almost from the beginning, he almost from the moment he jumped into that company, he was one of the featured acts. And like, Okay, like I don't really know that. I mean, yeah, it was fine, but again, like that's kind of the Bobby Roode thing. It's like, oh, all right, like, he doesn't. He, there's nothing exciting about him. There's nothing about Bobby no. Roode that screams, oh, "I gotta see that what this guy's gonna do next." He is 100% entrance, and it's a, he's the luckiest wrestler on earth. All right, so then we had the uh, finals of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. It was the Authors of Pain, Occam and Razor. Which, by the way, this was the first moment when I actually figured out that they're Occam's Razor. It's supposed to be their name. I didn't, uh, for whatever reason, I never made that connection <laughs> until today. I was like, wait a minute, now it makes so much sense. Uh, versus TM61, Nick Miller, and Shane Thorne, the uh, former The Muddy Don't Kneel. Uh, and of course, Paul Ellering was suspended above the ring inside of a cage, which meant absolutely nothing to the match, and I have no idea why they even did it in the first place. Uh, I didn't mind this match. I thought it was fine. I like the Authors of Pain because I like a big, beefy tag team, but they're pretty terrible. Uh, and TM61 was fine. I mean, they had the big spot where Shane Thorne you know, went off the top of the, the cage, and, and that was cool, but for the most part they're kind of just treading water right now and the authors of pain are just the authors of pain and I, this whole tournament was just not very good so i don't know i was fine with this match because it was only about eight minutes but yeah it, it, it wasn't spectacular on any level whatsoever but you sir are off base again um now don't get me wrong this was not a great match by any means but i thought tm61 was incredible in this match they worked hmm, okay. they worked their fucking asses off and i think it's a shame 
that that Shane Thorne spot where he did the moonsault off of that fucking structure that was holding up the cage is not getting more attention because that was an incredible spot. It was and, too early in the match. He should not have done it that early. That's something you build up to. That was in like the first five minutes of the uh, – God, the first three minutes of the match well, or whatever. I thought that was a bad idea to have it be so early. Well, the problem was they only went about seven or eight minutes, and you can't really go along with these two guys because they're really green. And I, I don't want to write these guys off yet because they're – obviously super green and they're real athletes and I think there's some potential there but I mean they're not ready to go out there and have a big time you know work ready style of match and 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 I accept that and I think TM61 knew that and I think they really worked their ass off Nick Miller worked really hard in this match too he had a great spot late in the match uh you know with the moonsault and everything else and then the, I thought the the finish look I, I um there were some die look these guys they were all over the ring and they were trying their hardest to make these dudes look as imposing and as dangerous as possible. And they really, they, you know, they bumped around for them. They were flying around. I really thought they worked their asses off. This was the kind of pro wrestling performance that, that the, the, the TM 61 performance, this is the kind of performance where it's, it, it, it was a better performance for the back than for the fans, I think, because this is the kind of performance where, where they go through the curtain and the agents and their opponents and triple H probably praised them to no end for the job that they did and working so mm-hmm. hard for the for their opponents because these are yeah, oh yeah I can see these are sure. two experienced guys who really knew they had to carry this thing to whatever level it was gonna be. And and I'm not saying it was great. But I think it really could have been ugly if it was a different if it was another pair of Okay, let's say it was Tino Sabatelli and whoever the geek is that he's teaming with. Who is it? Riddick Moss or something like that? I don't I don't care. If it was yeah, those two guys in there with the authors of pain I mean, this could have been an absolute disaster. You know, I, I really think this was two veteran guys taking the bulls by the horn and working their ass. I was very impressed by their performance. You can be very impressed by a pro wrestling performance, even in a match that isn't a great pro wrestling match. And I didn't think this was a bad match. I thought this was a pretty decent match. It was okay. I didn't have a, a major yeah, problem with this it. match. You know, and, and look, the cage thing was silly. I mean, the, the whole purpose of that is to sell the toy. Okay, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't know what they did the cage thing, and then I saw like right before that match, like the brand new like whatever figure, and I was like, oh, <laughs> now I, I didn't know that they were selling that. Now it makes all the sense in the world. Okay, yeah, they're I got selling it. the toy, and they wanted to do Last Battle of Atlanta promos on NXT because they had Team yeah, Sixty One right. bring up Last Battle of Atlanta, and it was Paul Elring. Fine, whatever. They did the chain spot. It didn't even lead to the finish. I mean, that got thwarted. Um, yeah, it's just bizarre, yeah. Which, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of – I prefer that it happened that way. I would have hated to have seen this match end with the chain finish, to be honest with you. It would have felt cheap. Um, but, look, I, I, my takeaway here is TM61 worked really hard. I do agree with you, though, they're, that they're kind of just there. Um, I think Shane Thorne is showing a ton of sneaky charisma in his promos and in the way that he's conveying himself on the TV show, and he's really working hard too. And I'll tell you another thing. Nick Miller, you know, I always thought this was going to end up being like a, a – he was going to be the Genetti. You know what I mean? But Miller's showing me some things too. I like sort of like he's the straight man, and they sort of have this dry comedy about them in their promos. It's not main roster ready yet, their act, but I think it's a good act, and I think it, it has some potential. I would urge people to be patient with these two. I think that there's something there. And look, this is what developmental's for, right? I mean, we always lose sight yep. of that. Um, you know, so I, you know, I, I'm with you. I don't think they're there yet, and I think there's some things to fine tune. But I, I, I do think there's a, a lot of potential with this team. Their work, it will never be an issue. 
All right, so I move on now to the match that I really loved. My match of the entire weekend. It was DIY Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa defeating the Revival. Uh, two out of three falls. They won two to one, of course, for the NXT Tag Team Championships. You did not mention this as one of your matches of the weekend. What did you think of this one? No, this was the best match of the weekend. Oh, okay. Whew. I was uh, like, I, I, mean, I thought you said some other matches. Okay, I was about to no, say, no, okay, no, said, now I'm convinced that you took up drinking. Okay, all right. No, no, no. Right, I said right. Joe Nakamura was the second best match of the weekend. Oh, okay, all right. Because this, this was the best match of the weekend, yeah. Okay, yeah, this match was fucking incredible. This was everything you could have ever wanted out of a tag match, I thought. I thought it was one of the best, maybe the best, like, I'm really thinking in my mind, and I'm sure there are others that I've seen in my life, but, like, of recent vintage of the best tag team match, like the best pure tag team match I've seen, so many callbacks, so many things that just said, hey, we're, we're, we're glad you've watched our previous matches. We're glad you've invested in both of our characters and both of our teams or whatever because we're going to have a bunch of callbacks that may, you might not understand right away, but if you know, you're going to know and you're going to go, oh, man, I'm really glad I watched all these previous matches. I'm really glad I took note of their previous matches. There was a lot of that in there. And this was just everything that you could want. Visually, it was awesome. They had the great little the finishing sequence where you know Gargano and Ciampa both have the guys and their finishers and the, and the revival is is grasping for for any little bit of energy and any little bit of of, of something you know to not tap out and just like visual it was awesome in ring it was awesome the callback spots were awesome the ways to kind of break up pinfalls were just incredible i thought this was just everything you could have ever wanted out of these two and then even a little bit more as well just just great stuff yeah i don't have a ton more to add um you know i thought it was a great match i gave it four and a half um the only thing I will say is I, this was getting a lot of five-star buzz. I kind of hate that because then what happens is if you don't think it's a five-star match, which you know, if you're going to give something five stars, then that means you think it's one of the greatest matches of all time, right? I mean, I think that's fair to say. Um, sure. How many would you give it? You reviewed it officially, didn't you? Uh, no, I did not review it for the site, but I, I went about four and a half with it as well. In my little notes, I went four yeah, and a half. Yeah, and I mean, that's what that means. People got mad about <laughs> like, Well, that's kind of my point, because I think... <laughs> four and a half is very good. That means it's a really awesome match of the year contender. Right, especially me. I don't I don't throw the four stars around that much. That's a big deal for right. me. Right, that means it's a match of the year contender level match if it's four and a half stars. And it's a great match, and I think I, I, I have nothing but praise for this match. My larger point, though, has really nothing to do with the match and more with, okay... When a great match like this happens and everyone's screaming five stars, five stars, here's what happens. And this is one of the worst sort of wrestling debates you can get into is if you don't think a match, if you think it's four and three quarters or four and a half, all of a sudden you're this heel who didn't like the match. And it's like, <laughs> it, I hate that whole dynamic. You know what I mean? I mean, just because someone doesn't think it was perfect and they don't, and look, I do not think that this was one of the greatest matches of all time. And unfortunately, as I say that, there's somebody seething and smacking their hand on their desk at work or cursing me in their car saying that I'm an asshole because they did the. And look, I could totally understand why someone thought this was a five-star match. I'm with you, man. I, I, you, that's cool. I don't think you're crazy for thinking that. This was a really great fucking match. But it's like there's this thing now where you know, the observer is going to come out tomorrow, and I don't think Dave is giving this five stars. And he's going to take another beating again because he gives it four and three quarters. All the and, Tokyo Dome meme will be out in, out in full force tomorrow. So. And you mentioned that people gave you shit for giving it four and a half. And it's like, look, it was still a great fucking match. These five-star debates are just so infuriating now. Here's the bottom line. If you think it was five stars, then it was five fucking stars. It's like, why? stop you know, trying to like justify your opinion with other people's opinions. Like, look, I get it. He's Dave Meltzer. 
He's a little different because historically, if he gives something five stars, it goes into that pantheon of mythical Dave Meltzer five-star matches. And people talk about it when Hall of Fame debates come up and and this and that. They say, you know, Masawa had, you know, 31 five-star matches or whatever it is. And really, that's just Dave's opinion. There might be somebody who can't fucking stand Masawa and he doesn't have any five-star match. But the bottom line, if you thought this was a five-star match, it was a five-star match. I think we all agree it was fucking great. I mean, Rich, if you came on here and you were giving it three and three quarters, I think people have a right to, to – then there's a debate there. Then there's an argument to be had. But if someone uh, someone else thinks it's great, I mean, I, I just – ah, it's so cringy to me, this whole five-star thing. It, it really – it just bothers me. I think it's a low-level thing, and it really – it takes away from the match itself. I mean, we're all agreeing it's great. Can't we just leave it at that? I mean, it's a right to not think it was – Yeah, I was, I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't more discussion of how great this was, and there was more discussion of, like, well, what level of great do you think it was? Like, let's just, let's just all kind of rally around the fact that – we just have a really fucking awesome match and like an all-time great tag match, and that, that's that's fine. Whether it be five stars or not, who, who cares? And if it was five stars to you and you're super invested in it, then do it. Like there are matches that I've rated five stars. Other people would say, "Well, I didn't rate that well because I liked it more than you. I was more invested in the story." We just talked about the main event. You like Samoa Joe and Nakamura. You were invested in that story. You were gonna like it more than me. That's just a thing that happens. It's this is wrestling. It's not all this like exact science of oh, well that is definitely a. So it's just yeah. I, I thought that was a little disappointing. There was a lot of that discussion going on where I don't think it needed it because I think we just could have all said, wow, oh my god, we just saw a really great thing. And, and one of the things that I, I, I thought was interesting as well, and I little, went on a little bit of a rant on, on Twitter about this earlier today, is I saw a lot of, oh man, this run that Gargano's been on, oh, Gargano's been great for like the last six months, or oh, Gargano for the last year, that dude's been fucking awesome since 2011. I'm so sick of hearing this, oh, Gargano just got so good over the last six months. That guy's been money honestly since he broke up with Chuck Taylor in DG USA when he won the title in 2012 that guy has been fucking awesome and I've loved everything he's done and anybody who's followed it like genuinely followed it and actually wanted to open their mind to to what he was doing you know goddamn well that guy has been awesome for for five plus years now it's not been a year or it has been six months this guy's been great he's been great for a a hell of a long time and Champa's the same way as well ever since he got out of Ring of Honor uh, not quite as many years but you could tell the whole thing got lifted off of him and he's been great for almost a year plus now but this Gargano oh man he's really improved or whatever Gargano hasn't improved he's been doing the same thing for five years and it's been awesome for five years as well so I I, I got really annoyed by that hey listen if you're a listener of this show Johnny Gargano and The Miz. I mean, we built this show talking about, I mean, I really remember one of our first few episodes. We're, like, talking about Johnny Gargano, and, like, this thing's been around forever. Like, If you listen to this show, Johnny Gargano and The Miz are not new phenomenons. I mean, this idea that Johnny Gargano and The Miz are all of a sudden super workers, these guys have been great for five years. I mean, we, we've been praising The Miz and Johnny Gargano forever. And I know we're patting ourselves on the back a little bit here, but I understand... And that's the first. We, never, we don't do that often here. Oh, so no, that, that yeah, never happens. Really, but I mean, really, really. we are the last people to say that we were right. But the, Right, except for you. Except... <laughs> you 45 minutes earlier just said, and I'm Joe Landon, I'm always right. Or I mean, I pretty, much, I pretty much do it every week. But I mean, right. but listen, when you're right all the time, you know... You, it's hard. It's got to be exhausting, Joe. I can't imagine. It's, I never forget, man. there was this kid on my block. His name was... Uh, his name was Joe Sorrentino. Oh, oh this will be good. His, oh, that's perfect. His name was Joe Sorrentino. But he, I was hoping it wasn't like Joe Thomas. I was hoping it was going to be a sweet Italian his, name. His so name was on. Joe Sorrentino, and he was, uh, he was a chubby kid. And oh. nobody called him Joe because I was Joe. I was the Joe on the block. So we took to, we took to calling him Chunky. His name became Chunky. So I have a little story about Chunky. Chunky... Um, wore a particular t-shirt a lot to school and I'll never forget this t-shirt and 
it was a t-shirt with the state of Arkansas on it. Okay, like a drawing of the state of Arkansas. And the phrase on the shirt was, it's hard to be humble when you're from Arkansas. Now, now I, this is going somewhere. Just stay with me. Now, okay. Now, Chunky wasn't even from Arkansas, so that's neither here nor is there. He, uh, is he from Rahway? No, I don't think so. Um, okay, all right. I'm, what you, I'm trying to are, find him up. Are you Facebook stalking this poor person? I am, yes, I am. Yes. I haven't seen him since he was in, like, third grade. I mean, gee. I want to see if he's Chunky anymore. I don't think you're going to find him, but... The point here is he had is this. Is he a master of education? Because this joke is it Sorrentino or? Will you stop? Do I have to pull a okay. gorilla monsoon here? Uh, Facebook this poor guy on your own time. But the point here is he had this T-shirt that said, "It's hard to be humble when you're from Arkansas," which was funny on many levels because why would you be proud of being from Arkansas? That's number one. Arkansas yeah, is a is. terrible no. place. Number two, he wasn't even from Arkansas, which had us all confused. But the reason I bring up Chunky and his T-shirt that said it's hard to be humble from Ar- if you're from Arkansas is, Rich, it's hard to be humble when you're always right. You know what I mean? So it's not wrong for us to bring up these scenarios where we nailed things. And you're absolutely right. I understand. Look, this is a little tongue-in-cheek. And, you know, sometimes we are. We can come off a little cocky. But you're right. You in particular, even more so than me, have been putting over – Johnny Gargano since day one of this show and you're not wrong he's been a great pro wrestler for at least five years I mean he had matches in Dragon Gate USA that if they had a wider viewing audience would be viewed as classics yeah that shingle match is a classic absolutely where he brought out the rope you know yep classic absolutely and the match where he lost the title to Ricochet I was at that Mm -hmm. match live where again he brought out the rope but it backfired you know and first of all He was great as like a mega superhero babyface in Dragon Gate USA, and then he was great as a heel. I mean, he did it. Yeah. He did it on both ends. It was like an eight hundred day title reign or whatever the hell it was, where it was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so the, the and changed his character halfway through the title run too, which is something you do not see that doesn't happen. Right, and and and, and they nailed it, and and he <laughs> and all, and credit to him, and it's like this is not a new phenomenon, and and we certainly are not surprised uh, of his great WWE performances, and it's funny because even when he came to NXT, there were people who there were a lot of rumblings they didn't deserve it, and oh my God, Johnny Gargano, we got to sit through Johnny Gargano, and he changed the minds of everyone in short order, and it comes back to a point that you made not so long ago on Twitter, and it's like, it's funny how people's opinions change when they actually watch something, and when they actually watch someone. You know what I mean? And it's like, Johnny, this was always what Johnny Gargano was, it's just that now people are seeing it on a consistent and wider basis. This is nothing new. Same thing with The Miz. We've been praising The Miz forever. I mean, and really, that's not just us, because I had this conversation with uh, Barry from Ireland on Twitter a couple days ago, the Miz won like most improved wrestler like two years in a row ten years ago. Okay, right. The, the, right. the Miz has been a great wrestler for like ten years. This idea that the Miz all of a sudden this is the Miz has been great for a long time. I mean, come on. I get that he's having a really good year because he is, but it's like this is nothing new either. But yeah, you were what you look. You've always been on the Gargano train. He was always your guy. So you have every right, Rich, to strut around and be cocky <laughs> and stick your chest out and wear your. I got the McGregor. I got the McGregor Vince McMahon walk going on right you now. Do. I'm pacing in my room in my office, but I'm not. I'm tied down to this mic. But you know, you have. If I were not tied down to this mic, I would be doing. You have right every now. right to rock. You're, it's hard to be humble when you're from Arkansas t-shirt right now, is what I'm getting around to saying here. 
All right, so the reason I wanted to figure out if this is the guy, and this is terrible, we shouldn't do this, is I will just read a headline for when I looked up that guy's name. Teacher's arrest for mooning diners extremely disturbing. And that's the Here's the thing. The, the story doesn't work, and I can't figure out who it His is. His name, exactly, I, I, so. as, I, as, you were, as I was talking, I remembered that, that actually I confused him with another Joe on the block. He wasn't Joe Sorrentino. Okay. He, he was Joe Del Vecchio. But the, the, okay, well, if there was a George Sorrentino on your block that's now a teacher at Rahway, uh, in 2014, he had an extremely disturbing uh, mooning incident where he uh, disturbed diners with a moon. And, he, and, and because of that, he is no longer a candidate for the South Plainfield Borough uh, politician. <laughs> nah, there, listen, for. there was a lot of Joes on my block. He was. I was going to say, Joe Sorrentino was probably not the only one named Joe Sorrentino that lived in New Jersey. So. No, and he... Chunky was actually Joe Del Vecchio. I probably shouldn't even be doing that. Okay, now all right. you maniacs are going to try to look him up. And but uh, <laughs> right but, but I mean, there were a lot of Joes, and we were all Italian. And it, yeah, and and forgive me, but I got confused. You got Joe Lanza, Joe Sorrentino, Joe Del Vecchio. This was some block, Rich. Let me tell you. So you know. <laughs> oh geez, I looked up. Jo- Luckily, I looked up Joseph Del Vecchio uh, in New Jersey, and it says twenty-seven matches for Joseph Del Vecchio in New Jersey. Yeah, so so yeah, you go. good luck trying to and find never it. narrowing it down. And who knows? He, <laughs> so, he might be back in Arkansas at this point. I mean, it was like uh, who knows? I mean, you know. So, so he was from Arkansas. Or no, he that's just the, had that shirt. That's what was bizarre. The kid wasn't even from Arkansas. <laughs> why did he have this? I don't know. That's why it, it's like it, there, it's it, and then it's it, it's funny because then like. I had a girlfriend like many years later and she had a t-shirt that said getting lucky in Kentucky. And I, and, and I was like, how did you acquire this t-shirt? Have you been to Kentucky? And follow up question, did you get lucky in Kentucky? Because I would think if one got lucky in Kentucky, th- that'd be a cool t-shirt to get because you could remember that great moment when you got lucky in Kentucky. She was never in Kentucky. So these people get these t-shirts with the state pride. I, I Listen, Rich, I'm not about false state pride. If you didn't actually get lucky in Kentucky, I don't think you should own a t-shirt that says getting lucky in Kentucky. You see what I'm saying? I got gotcha. you. Plus, these are awful right. states to be proud of. I mean – Yeah, these are the two worst states in the entire union, so that's a joke. That's – Arkansas absolutely is. Arkansas for sure. Kentucky's fine. Um would be the number two worst state in the union. Now you just don't want to. You don't want to insult Aaron Bentley, and you don't want to insult um, Warren Taylor. Warren yeah, Taylor. Warren. No, I, I look at, there's parts of Kentucky I like. There's parts of Kentucky I don't like, like attempting to find food while you're on the highway. That's Listen, bad. I have no problem um, burying states because my state gets buried nonstop. Everyone picks on New Jersey. Oh, your state's garbage. Oh, I thought. Oh, Texas. Yeah. Well, no, New Jersey's terrible. You can pick on Texas all you want. I'm not a native. I don't. Care <laughs> I was gonna say both your both your states are garbage, but yeah, no, New Jersey is like the. Because you, when you're not making fun of the South or whatever, like New, New Jersey. Jersey is the next best, right? Yeah, you're, you're like nobody like rags on like Oregon. They just rag on New Jersey. It's either the American South or New Jersey. Nobody rags on Oregon, and I'll tell you what, I think it's about time we rag on Oregon because Oregon, yeah, Oregon's a piece. Of crap, why does yeah. Oregon get a pass? You know what I mean? Yeah, they, like they have a lot of people on public aid. Everyone's always like, ah, it's the blacks. Oh, it's the Mexicans or whatever. And then Oregon's sucking a lot of your money dry there with their public aid. You know what, so just, dude? Just letting people know. Fuck Oregon because I'm tired of Oregon <laughs> getting a free pass. Every other state takes a beating, right? Your city takes a beating for being a crime-ridden mess and uh, you know, the fucking wind or whatever the fuck, right? Why doesn't? Or- <laughs> How come no one beats? It's up not Oregon? actually because of the wind. It's not actually the windy city because of we have a lot. I, more I wind, couldn't but. think of anything else. So like, no, you're fine. No, a lot of people do. I, Mix that up. I was it either going to bring up the wind or like the fire. Okay, those are the go-tos. Al Capone or Chicago Fire. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But but you make an excellent point. Every other state gets beat up for something. Nobody fucks with Oregon. Well, I'll tell you something. 
I am going to fuck with Oregon because I'm tired of Oregon getting a free pass. And New- my state always takes a beating, a vicious beating. Hacky comedians are always making fun of my state. New Jersey is fucking awesome, okay? I will. And here's the thing. You can make fun of Jersey if you want. I've never been. I've never but been. Here's, been the, here's the thing. I have a right to pick on these other states because my state does nothing but take a vicious beating 24-7. So I feel like a caged animal. I feel like Samoa Joe who had his title stripped from him. And I feel like giving everybody a muscle bu- – I'm giving Arkansas, Kentucky, and Oregon a fucking muscle buster. And I feel like I'm justified in doing so because I get picked on all the time from my state. And my state's awesome. Where else can you have a block with a Joe Lanza, a Joe Sorrentino, and a Joe Del Vecchio on the same block? Okay, you're never going to find that anywhere else. You're going to find that in New Jersey. Asuka defeated Mickey James, NXT Women's Championship. What did you think of this one? I like these Asuka matches. I mean, look, and this one was excellent too. I, I know you had a problem with how much offense Mickey James got, but I thought Mickey James looked really good, and, um, and, and, and I enjoyed this match. I didn't like it as much as the Bailey matches. I liked the novelty of seeing Mickey James, and I know some people are tiring of Asuka being dominant. I'm all about it because this is what you call a push. This is a is one of this is a rare this is someone in wrestling who's getting a mega push and I, I I'm never opposed to um, a mega push when it's working and this one is working because I think whoever eventually unseats Asuka is going to get a nice boost from that because she's been so dominant and she really conveys dominant too she's a, very similar to Samoa Joe in that respect where. They're believable badasses. Like, you don't want to confront these people because you, you really feel like they'll fucking murder you. Yeah, no, I really liked Asuka's performance in this entire match. And, and, and my thing with Mickey James and my complaint, yeah, I mentioned it on Twitter and I'll mention it here as well, is, is it wasn't, you know, I think she looked great as well. You mentioned that she looked great. I thought she looked fantastic. She looked really good. To me, though, I don't know that that's what I really wanted to do do when I have Mickey James coming in because the problem with, with, with me and it, it kind of in a way almost relates to the Goldberg issue that we talked about earlier is that you have Asuka just destroy destroy Bailey within an inch of her life Bailey is a nothing to Asuka Asuka just pushes Bailey aside get out of here get out of my company you're gone you're trash get out of here that's fine. I, 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 I was cool with those matches. I like those matches a lot. But then you have Mickey James coming in here, who they say, oh, we haven't seen her in a WWE ring in six years. Or, oh, man, Mickey James used to be this. And, oh, she used to be here, but we haven't seen her in so long. We haven't seen her in so long. And then she really, for a lot of the match, was neck and neck with Asuka. And I didn't like that. I wanted Asuka just to beat the hell out of her. Maybe have Mickey get a hope spot or two in here. But Asuka looked so dominant and so incredible that it was like, man... Asuka even destroyed Mickey James. And Mickey James is somebody who was a big deal in this company years ago. And she even, even she can't sniff Asuka. The problem that I didn't have, and, and maybe other people didn't get it quite as much as I did, but I just thought Mickey James got too much offense. And I thought Asuka just should have absolutely decimated her. Yeah, let Mickey get a few spots here and there. But I, I just thought there was way too much offense coming from Mickey James. And I don't think that tells a great story when in conjunction with those Bailey matches where Asuka just destroys somebody who had been on top of that division for quite a while and sends her off. And then Mickey comes after not wrestling you know, for all intents and purposes, for six years in WWE Universe land or whatever. She hadn't wrestled in six years. And then she's right there with Asuka for a lot of the match. I don't know if I like that. Maybe people don't think that she was right there with Asuka, and maybe that would make your opinion differ a little bit. But that's kind of where I went with it. I still enjoyed it a lot because I thought Mickey looked great, and I thought Asuka looked good. And I think in a vacuum, the match was really, really good. But for me, the story of Mickey, you know, competing with Asuka, I didn't like that quite as much. Shake Them Ropes, to continue on with the Gorilla Monsoon theme of this show, is going to be a real happening this week, Rich. It's going to be an absolute happening. You can cut the tension with a knife on that show. I think everyone should listen to that show. But the reason I bring up Shake Them Ropes is 
What do you think of the Hawk, Jeff Hawkins, and his counter to your point, which I thought was an interesting one, in that in kayfabe, okay, Mickey James is a multi-time main roster world champion. NXT is the minor leagues, so it makes sense that she would take Asuka to the limit in ways that the NXT women cannot. How do you feel about that point? Yeah, no, it's a good point. I like that one. Um, I... Yeah, I, I guess if that's the story you want to tell, maybe I didn't come at it with that story. I came at, see, to me, I come at it with she's been off for six years and she hasn't been around for six years or whatever. But yeah, I, I think Jeff's not wrong on that point. I think that's it's absolutely a point. And that's probably what, again, this is another match where we say the way that you're, you think of these characters, what you kind of expect from the match can alter your thoughts on the match entirely. If he came at it with Mickey James is this former main roster superstar, or whatever, and, and, and people watching came at it from that standpoint, then yeah, you're going to think this match was even better or, than I did. And you're going to think, wow, Oscar really defeated somebody good to me. I was looking at it as Mickey James hasn't been around for six years. This is somebody who was a big deal, you know, a half a decade ago or more than a half a decade ago, but now she's here and that's been six years and she's against Asuka and Asuka's an ass kicker. Asuka should destroy her. Asuka didn't destroy her. Asuka beat her, but I don't know that Asuka destroyed her. That's where I kind of come at it with with there. But no, I I don't think Jeff's wrong. And I think a lot of people did have that same thought with uh, Mickey James coming in. That's why I was a little perplexed by Mickey James was the one picked from the beginning. I kind of didn't really invest in that story too much because I was, I I just didn't understand why it was her. But if you're coming at it from that standpoint, then absolutely I get it. So yeah, no, he's right on money with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I thought that was an excellent point, but I mean, I, I still, the thing is, I'm not sure if I view NXT as minor leagues. I kind of just view it as a third brand these days. Sure. And that's because of the way that they've structured it and the way that they have so many experienced, uh, you know, uh, superstar pro wrestlers there and present them as such. It's not like they bring in Samoa Joe and Bobby Roode and Shinsuke Nakamura as unknown quantities. They're basically telling you that that these people are worldwide superstars and they're here now. So to me, that's more indicative of it being a third brand than a minor league. But there's still some of Yeah, I don't see much of the, they're, they're doing this to move up. Asuka is a step away from the main roster. Like, you know what I mean? I don't get and, that and ever with be, her. They don't and really... it used to be that way with right, NXT. Right, right. But I'm not sure that it it's is not, anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like, her beating Mickey James isn't like, wow, she's ready for the main roster now. Like, they don't have, they, they don't say, oh, there's nothing left for Asuka to do in NXT. You know, they never, they present that as, I'm here now and I'm going to dominate this brand right now that I'm on. You know, it's never this, I can't wait to defeat you and move to the main roster. You know what I mean? Like, they just kind of happen. Like, you just kind of move to the main roster, but it's less of, in many cases, you move to the main roster and then you blow off your NXT feud as opposed to, okay, I'm going to win this match and then that's my last match in NXT and I'm moving on up. They don't do that. Or a lot of times what they do is like, the opposite of a minor league where you lose a blow off and move and leave the territory and go to raw, sure. which right. kind of works against the idea of the minor leagues too. Cause you would think that the person who wins the blow off and then they say, all right, well, congratulations, you've proved your worth. You're moving on now. But in a lot of cases, it's the person who uh, isn't worthy of NXT anymore because they've lost and then they pop up on Raw. So it's it's a weird, weird dynamic. And again, it's an identity crisis that we talked about in bit, in larger detail, I think, last week on the show when it comes to NXT's identity. All right, what do you want to get to now? We've uh, we've exhausted WWE land right now. We've got a few different things to kind of jump in here. We have the All Japan Sumo Hall show. We have Gabe Sapolsky, FIP. Uh, you have a big uh, hot take on Marty Scroll in, in, in Ring of Honor. We have WWE Live Style Battle. Where do you go, Joe? Where do we do next? Uh, let's talk about Ring of Honor a little bit. I mean, obviously, yeah, do it. obviously, almost none of us have seen the matches unless you were there live, but they really had a big weekend over in the U.K., and it's kind of stirred up a little controversy in that uh, Will Ospreay defeated Bobby Fish for the television title, 
and that got a lot of attention. And of course, um, you know, two day, you know, the next day he teams up with Marty Skrull. Both of them making their debuts in Ring of Honor, by the way, um, this weekend. He teams up with Marty Skrull in the tag team match. They lose to the Young Bucks. I think it had that tremendous finish where the Hurricane Rana got turned into the Meltzer driver. I think it was the same. I mean, that was an incredible spot. I don't know if you saw it, but it looked amazing. Um, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I've seen it yet, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So it was uh, they, the Bucks set up the Meltzer driver, and then I think it was Skrull that was set up for the. Uh, the pile driver. I, I hope I have the principles correct here because I, I just saw like a grainy cell phone footage of it. But uh, so Osprey then, you know, to, to block the move, he gives a a springboard Hurricane Rana to, you know, whatever Jackson is the one coming off the ropes. But in taking the Hurricane Rana bump, like the flip that occurs when you give someone a Hurricane Rana, he turns that into the Meltzer driver anyway, and they still complete the move. I don't know that. Oh, geez, wow. I don't know if that makes yeah. any sense <laughs> yeah. in your brain. Well, no, it, it kind of does. Yeah, I have to see it to really believe it, but <laughs> it seems unpo- impossible spot. to do. Yeah. yeah, but but then you know, and then the next day on the third show, um, uh, Marty Skrull then won the television title from Will Ospreay. So Ospreay loses it in his V1 defense, Rich, and um, we were kind of tipped off to all of this a few days before. Uh, you know, you know, via the old sliding into the DMs, and if you recall the conversation we had with the person who tipped us off, I knew immediately this was going to annoy people when Skrull beat Osprey for the title because, and I knew immediately why, and it played out that way because people were going to be all hyped up for two days about Will Osprey versus Dragon Lee at Final Battle, and then it was going to be taken away from them when Marty Skrull won the title two days later despite the fact that you're probably getting, I don't know if it's official, but now you're going to get an awesome four way. You're going to get, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that is official. I saw, I thought I saw ring of honor tweet out earlier. Let me, let me guarantee that before uh, it wasn't just people talking about it, but I'm almost positive it is official, but go go ahead. Yeah. So the match is going to be Skrull, Osprey, Bobby fish and dragon Lee in a four way, which again is, that's going to be equally fantastic anyway. And I'm sure you, you know, you'll probably get your dragon Lee Osprey match at some point since they're in the same company now. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, but, um, I knew people were going to be upset by that, and I knew people were going to be upset by the quickie title change, but again, much like the Brock Goldberg thing, I've got to defend the booking here, I think, and and there's there's a couple different reasons for this. Number one, you're a ste- – okay, you've signed the two biggest stars in that country. It is official, by the way. Sorry. So uh, earlier today. Uh, or, or, uh, late last night, they confirmed it. On December 2nd at Final Battle, it's a four-corner four survival for the TV title. Marty Skrull, Will Ospreay, Bobby Fish, and Dragon Lee. So, yeah, carry on. So you go. So you sign these two guys. You debut them. And right off the bat, in their home market, you've established both of them as big deals. How is that possibly a bad thing? That's number one. Number two, people say, yeah, but the quickie switch devalues the title. <laughs> okay, oh I, I, have to atta- I have to attack this from two different angles. Angle number one is, it's the fucking ROH television title. What value does it have to devalue? It's a secondary title in Ring of Honor. Okay, it's a nice little title. I get it. But how does the- – and, and, and the counter to that is, if anything – it enhances the value. When has when has the Ring of Honor television title? When was the last time that title had any buzz? When did it have buzz at all ever in its history? This week, 
that title got talked about more than at any point in its history because these two guys who are worldwide superstars, brand new to the company, were involved in that title mix and won the title. This is nothing but good. It gave that title buzz. People are talking about the Ring of Honor TV title now. Marty Skrull and Willow Spray, it's been established from the day one of their first weekend in the company that they are big deals and they matter and they're meaningful parts of the roster. They got those guys over immediately. They put them in a big time match at final battle. And what has been the complaint about Ring of Honor that we've criticized them for, that others have criticized them for, that they don't try to get anybody over, they fail at getting people over. Here, they immediately uh, do big things with two stars who are under contract with them, by the way, because another complaint is, oh, Ring of Honor again putting over the outside guys. This is just, <laughs> they're, they're, like contracted New Japan. Japan. Yeah. they're contracted Ring of Honor guys. They're their guys now. I, I, you know, it's like they, they're Ring of Honor wrestlers. Why should they not push their own wrestlers? Look, I, look, I don't know where you stand on this. I am behind this 100%. I think they did a great job. I think these title changes got people talking. It's not like Ring of Honor does quickie title change. Bobby Fish had the title, what, for eight, seven or eight months? <laughs> no, that, that's exactly here. But before you move on, this is exactly, this is the game I wanted to play here. Um, okay. I want you to guess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say who the champion was, and I want you to guess how many days they were television champion. Okay. Can you do that? Uh, we could try, sure. We can try. Okay. So this is going back to, uh, we'll go to, uh, let's go to June 2012. It was Adam Cole defeated Roderick Strong to become the champion. Joe, how many days was Adam Cole the Ring of Honor tag team, or the uh, Ring of Honor TV champion? Well, well help me out. Who did he lose to? Uh, he lost to Matt Taven. Uh, about, I would say about four months. Okay, it was 246 days. He had five successful title defenses. Oh, wow. So that's – is that more than – yeah, that's more than four months. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. That is How like, long was Matt Taven? <laughs> yeah, like you're going to get this idea here. Matt Taven, uh, so Adam Cole won it uh, June 29, 2012. He lost it March 2nd, 2013 to Matt Taven. So now Matt Taven lost to Tommaso Ciampa. That's how far back we're going. Matt Taven lost to Tommaso right. Ciampa. How many days did Matt Taven I know, have I know Taven had a very lengthy run. I, I recall that one because I, I, was, I was not a fan of Taven at the time, and I wasn't happy. No, and he still sucks. But <laughs> he, had a, he had it for 287 days oh and 11 God. successful title defenses. 11 defenses? How long did Tommaso Ciampa have it? Who did he lose to? He lost to Jay Lethal. Oh, and then it was Lethal's double run with both titles. Uh, eventually, Lethal won the world title and had both titles. Um, yeah. yeah, that that I, that was a pretty lengthy run too, as I recall. That was not a short yeah. Chapa had it 